We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Well, well, well. Good afternoon, my Irish Breakdown family. I am Vince D'Addario. I am the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. And with me, as always, is Brian Driscoll. He is the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. And it is Friday. That means it's Mailbag Friday, baby. Best day of the week. Uh, According to just underneath me there, it says Friday free-for-all mailbag. And what does that mean? Ladies and gentlemen, it means that this show is entirely run by you. You, the fan, whatever you bring up, that's what we're going to talk about, whether it's Notre Dame, whether it's college football, uh, whether it's apparently the fact that I wear my sunglasses upside down on my hat, whatever the case may be, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, And there's there's no limits, baby. We're coming at you with whatever you want to talk about. So make sure that you uh, hit the subscribe button, the like button. All of the above, uh, you know, whether you are listening podcast-wise or whether you are watching us on YouTube, uh, make sure you jump in there so that you are notified whenever we do this, and uh, we'll go from there. So bring on the comments, baby. I- I'm ready. I am focused. I am ready to go. Brian, yeah, how are so, you today, so, I'm great, buddy. So was Jonathan, Tommy, John Gallagher, Liam. People were in here before 1 o'clock, ready to rock and roll. Always. So. Very excited. Long day yesterday. We had two shows yesterday, and I'm ready for a great way to end the week here with today's Friday free-for-all. Yes, absolutely. And we've Let's got... Let's get to it. We got there's questions some yet, or everybody just kind of saying hi and talking right now? What yeah, the... it's a very cordial group, which yes. I, I do enjoy. Yes. Um, let's see here. <laughs> with the upside-down shades. Yes, that, that is accurate, Tommy. I had the upside-down shades on the top of my hat, doing me a lot of good when it's sunny outside. Um 
Here's a here's an interesting one, and I realize it's a conversation going on between everybody. But uh, Dylan brings up, let's see here, Ian Book over under thirty four and a half NFL starts, obviously over his career because they don't play thirty five games in a season, um, as much as the owners would want that to be the case. <laughs> yeah, I um, say for now, <laughs> but they do not play that many, so I'm assuming that is over a career. Um, you know, that's very interesting. Because if it, it really all depended for me on who he got drafted by, and the fact that he got drafted by the Saints is a pretty good destination spot for him, especially with Sean Payton as a head coach. Um, I will stop there with the comparisons to Drew Brees because um, I'm not going down that road. But it is a still a very good situation because it's kind of a volatile quarterback situation right now down in New Orleans. So um, 35 is a big number. <clears throat> that's that's two full that's two full that's two seasons full plus seasons one. yes plus and one. i don't know that i ever see him being a full season starter um i see him being a spot starter here and there so that's going to take more than two seasons obviously i will take the under on this uh 35 is a big number for me um i'll take the under but i wouldn't in no way be surprised if he had ended up being the over I'd be pretty surprised if it was the over. I'd be, I'd take the under on this one. I mean, because again, you know, I view him as a backup quarterback, and and Absolutely. over the over the course of ten seasons, he'd have to start at least three and a half. You know, three to four, he'd have to average three and a half starts a season for ten years. If he started five games a season as a backup, he'd have to do it for seven years. And I just, I mean, either he plays with the most time, fragile right? quarterback ever, or there's going to have to be suspicions about, you know, what Ian's putting in the kid, the dude's water, or something like that, you know. But, uh, you know, I just, I don't see him being a starting quarterback in the NFL simply because I don't think he showed the ability to process information and make reads and things like that sure. that you need to be. Now, I'll say this if that part of his game improves, the other parts I think are, are, are work. I, I think sure. his arm's better than people give it credit for. I think the reason people question Ian's arm is more about what I talked about, which is the decision-making. He never let his arm loose as much as he should have. So if that part of it improves, then I could see Ian Book, you know, maybe being a starting quarterback. I mean, look, we've seen some pretty crappy guys. I mean, look, no doubt. If Gardner Midshew can start for a couple seasons in the NFL, Ian Book can if he can figure that part out up here. Because I would take Ian Book's physical talent over Gardner Minshew any day of the week. But, you know, again, it just that that processing of information is the part of of this whole thing that has to improve for Ian Book for him to have a starter. But like you said, forget the Drew Brees comparisons. You know, I mean, he's going to a place where their second quarterback is more of a receiver than he is a quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And their starting quarterback, you know, last time he was a starter, threw almost as as many interceptions as he did touchdowns. And he threw over 30 touchdowns, you know. (laughs) Right. So, uh, you know, I just – that that part of it to me is more of the the right place than anything else as far as him eventually becoming a starter. He's going to sure. a place where that is a shaky quarterback situation, yep. in my opinion. Yep, I agree. Uh, John, we kind of talked about this on Wednesday's show, if I do, if I'm not mistaken, Brian. Mm-hmm. But uh, John wants to know: Does Marcus Freeman coach from the field or the box? He seems like he would be a player's coach on the field, just firing people up. Uh, I in <clears> his <throat> history, he's been on the field. Mm-hmm. I would assume that that is not going to change. I would say. In my estimation, the vast majority of defensive coordinators are generally on the field. Um, and I would say play callers offensively are usually up in the box. That's you it. Know now, what's that's been a interesting about that but. is that is true in college football as a whole. But if you think about Notre Dame, 
so far, Brian Van Gorder has been the only defensive coordinator that was on the field. Really? Bob Diaco was up in the box. Point, yeah. Mike Elko was up in the box. <clears throat> and Clark Lee was up in the box. Yeah, that's Which true. is kind of surprising to me. But because when you look around college football, what you said, Vince, is absolutely correct. The majority of coaches are uh, defensive coordinators are on the field. Yeah. But that yeah. has not been true for, for Notre Dame which I find interesting. But the one thing Brian Kelly has always said, and 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 I've never heard anything different behind the scenes, is he's going to let them coach from wherever they want to coach from. And I love so, that. So guys being uh, up I in the box that, yeah. is is their choice. It's because it's where they want to be. It's not something sure. that, that Brian Kelly has told coordinators to be up in the box. It just I just think it's ironic that I prefer defensive coordinators to be on the field. Notre Dame has had four defensive coordinators of Brian Kelly's tenure. Three of them are really good. One of them sucked, and the only one that sucked was on the field. Was one on the field. <laughs> you know, I think we, I think it's a hard left turn now after this year. I'm just, just saying. I have just, a feeling. Yeah. Just throwing it out there. Um, Shane really enjoyed the QB breakdown yesterday. It would be great to see a top five at each position for 2023. Yeah. And he, he's referring to your yeah. recruiting breakdown that you did. Yep. Uh, yep. Your recruiting show. So everybody make sure you check that out. Uh, if you want to check out the QB breakdown by our guy, Coach D. Um, always some interesting stuff in there. So Shane, I think what we're going to do for now is we're going to work on the 22 class <clears throat> for now. And then as we, as we get deeper into the 22 class being over and we start getting more of a firm grasp of who the targets are at the other positions, then we'll do that as well. But I think right now, you know, we'll do running back soon. We'll do, uh, w actually we did running back recently, but we'll do receiver soon. We'll do offensive line soon. We'll do uh, you know, we'll break down the linebacker class when that's all in the mix. So we'll kind of do similar things like that. But cornerback and safety, we'll do those uh, here soon. But once those are all wrapped up and we start getting a better feel for, you know, just who the guys are in the 23 class, then we'll we'll dive into that. And then if we do it too early, we can always do another one down Absolutely. the road when when the board changes because that's that's the nature of recruiting is yep. Very who fluid. the top five are on the board now is going to look a whole lot different than who the top five on the board is going to be in six months and then eight months when when you're know. referring to the 23 class. Brian was busting your chops here, so that's why this made it up. Uh, but he was also talking about the QB show last night. He checked it out, watched it on the playback, and he said, by the way, be sure to tell Coach Kelly that we spell our names uh, not quite I right. have mentioned that before. Yes, <laughs> I have said that to Coach Kelly in, 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 like in passing, not during a press conference, but in, in, in passing. <laughs> that he does spell his name incorrectly. And Tommy Leonard, Freeman will be on the field. Yeah. You've heard it here first, folks. So yes. Well, now that Tommy has said it. I mean, now it's uh, clearly going to happen. Yeah. All right. Let's see here. Um, oh, there was another one. I missed it. And it is up here. To my Dylan's question? Uh, yes. Uh, there it is. Oh. Sorry. I was trying to help you out. That's okay. Uh, does does Xavion Bradshaw live under a rock with no Wi-Fi? I never hear or read anything on him. Okay, Z Graham, Virginia, Bluefield, where he's at, <laughs> Bluefield, Virginia, Graham High School, might as well be under a rock. I've said this before. <laughs> it is way out in Western Virginia Yeah. to the point where it's basically borders on West Virginia. I mean, it is out in the middle of nowhere. But look, not every kid loves the spotlight, loves the recruiting spotlight. Some sure. kids just go about their business. And Xavion's a kid that just doesn't respond. I've got three DMs into him. Eric Redder's got multiple DMs into him just trying to hear what's going on. Other people are doing the same thing. He's just not a kid that really engages the recruiting process a whole lot. He's just going about his business and doing what he needs to do. So I appreciate that's that why you never read or hear anything from him. It's But look – 
rest assured, Notre Dame is on him and they are recruiting him. And my understanding is he's responsive to them, which is far more important than whether or not he's responsive to, uh, to us in this business. All right. Let's see here. Ba-ba-ba-bum. Hey guys, love the show. Who do you see taking the number two center spot? Yeah, that's well, that an interesting, interesting. question. That's Vince. a little flexible at the present. But what do you think? I, I think it's going to be one of two scenarios. I think we're going to see somebody like a John Dirksen or a veteran player like that be moved to center to be the number two because they were they were grooming Dylan Gibbons to be that guy. And I think they'll continue to do that. I think this opens up an opportunity possibly for Pat Coogan to, to, to come in and, and, and learn that position as well, which was, which is a, something that had been in a, as a possibility for a while, but ultimately it's going to happen. This David is what's going to happen. Okay. If, if there's an injury for a game or for part of a game or a guy's going to have to miss a game, you're probably going to see Notre Dame insert whoever that veteran player is, whether it's John Dirksen, whether it's Michael Carmody. Did whether you see them putting Jarrett Patterson over there? Well, let me get to that. I'll, I'll get I'm to sorry. that. Step, if gun. it's a short-term thing, it'll be it'll be whoever the backup center is. Okay. If it's a situation where Zeke Carell goes down and he's going to be gone for a while, I think you'd see them move Zeke Pat- Jarrett Patterson back to center. Gotcha. Makes so sense. I think it just depends on the number two <clears throat> center spot may be you know, player A, on the depth chart, but that right. doesn't necessarily mean if it's a right. long-term injury. Now, if it's about something that happens in the second quarter, you're not going to move your whole line around in the middle of the second quarter. If it's just for a game, you might not, unless it's a, a pretty big game. But if it's a long-term thing, I think that's where you could see Jared Patterson head back to center. Well, it's very similar to when you know you, you get a depth chart, and there's literally 10 names on the depth chart, but like Josh Lug was the first man in at every spot. Mm-hmm. Like that—that's just but, the reality. But remember, in, when when they got in the middle of a game, when Liam Eikenberg went down, they bumped Aaron Banks out the left tackle and right. put Dylan Gibbons in because you know Josh was on the right side. But instead of putting in the backup left tackle, right, they had a different plan mm-hmm. because Dylan right. Gibbons was ahead of whoever that backup left tackle was. Right. So we have seen a move of people around before, but I think at center is a little different deal because you have to have someone who actually, because it is about snapping the football, you're you're most likely going to go with your number two guy, unless it's going to be a long-term thing. All right. D-Rock has got a recruiting question or, or I, yeah, I guess it's kind of a recruiting question. Just read from Athens Academy that Dion Colsey set a school record in the hundred meters at 10.82, which is smoking fast. Uh, Who was or is our fastest player? I assume that's currently. I'm, I would imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. You got a crack at that, Vince? I mean, I, I mean, think I, I have a pretty good idea who it is. I would imagine it's Braden Lindsay. I would know. No, no, you don't think oh, so? Yeah. Chris Tyree's short oh, distance times were way better than Braden. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Braden you're right. Lindsay in track was more of a. Uh, he was more of a two hundred guy. It's like a two hundred guy. Middle guy. Di- middle yeah. distance is what they call that. Yeah. Yes. And now look, Braden Lindsay's a four four guy. Don't get me wrong. Braden Lindsay is fast. There's no doubt about it. But Chris Tyree. Had the fastest 55-meter dash time in the nation as a sophomore for for the sophomore class, for his class. He had the fastest uh, in his class at that time, and he also, uh, as a junior, he had the nation's fastest for then juniors uh, 55-meter dash time. Braden Lindsay, for context, Braden Lindsay's best uh, 100-meter dash time was a 10.62. And then his next two fastest were 10 eights. So that's that's a pretty good time for for Deion Colsey, especially when you consider he is a 
six four guy. So that's a good sign. And we don't always see that speed show up, but that's true. You know, we've talked about this as he's a guy that to me needs to needs to um you know he need, he needs to uh <laughs> he needs to show it and I think it's capable of it. But to put Chris Tyree into into context, Chris Tyree never ran the hundred meter dash past a sophomore year. He oh, okay. he was he he was an indoor his fastest time as an as a sophomore was ten six six as a sophomore. sophomore. Yeah, he ran ten eight five as a freshman, and then of course he ran a his three back so an eight a ten eleven and twelve grades ten eleven twelve he ran a six three nine a six three zero and a six one three one in the fifty five meter dash. So Chris Tyree was absolutely it, to me is absolutely the fast player. And you know another guy that is is has really good track times in, in those regards too is uh, Ramon Henderson. Ramon Henderson okay. was a, was a guy that had a lot of success. Uh, in high school as a track guy. I'm looking up his 100-meter dash times now, but uh, he had some really good 100-meter dash times in high school. He had a 10.59 and a, a, as a junior and a 10.75 as a sophomore. So Notre Dame has some dudes that can can yeah. run. It's just, you know, they got to learn to be – they got to they gotta work on become making sure that they're really good football players. But, yeah, they've of got course. some guys that can run. But none of those guys were 6'4". That's the other thing. Sure. And that's the thing I think that makes Dion's time unique is, you know, Dion did that at six, four, which is really and how impressive. tall is Chris? Five, 10, five, nine yeah. and a half, five, 10. Right. Which Ramon is about Henderson's what? closest. He's six, one. Braden Lynch yeah. is five, 11. So yeah, that's an impressive time. Definitely an impressive time. And that's right. before he gets in the Notre Dame strength program too. Well, good point. Good point. All right. Uh, this is a, a, a very interesting question. Um, okay, so we've got the Notre Dame 05 offense. So that's Brady Quinn, Grit, you know, Jeff Samarja, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And the 12 Most defense. Overall. Yeah, and, and the 12 defense. They're on one side mm-hmm. against the 2015 offense mm-hmm. and the 2020 defense. Mm-hmm. Who wins? Oh. I'm guessing. I, I, I assume that he wants to yeah. know who wins. No, yeah, that's – um, That is – Wow. Yeah, I would probably go with the the first one, the 05 offense and the 12 defense, because, you know, look, what was the weakness of the 2020 Notre Dame defense? It was defending the pass game. Yep, They would have had to guard two behemoths outside at Sinsomarja and Stovall. And then you've got Anthony Fasano. You know, running running down the, the middle of the field. Golden Tate you know? still on the team too. No, that was way before. That was two like two years before Golden Tate showed up. Okay, that was the that was the Samarja was on one side, Stovall was on the other side. I think you had Matt Shelton in the slot. They had okay. Anthony Fasano at tight end. You had Darius Walker out of the backfield. Your offensive line, I think, it was Ryan Harris, uh, Dan Santucci, John Sullivan, uh, Dan Stevenson, and Mark Lavore were that offense. That was a really really good offense. And then, of course, the 2012 defense. I would probably still go with, I would I, because I think the 2012 defense was way better than the 2020 defense, in my opinion. Because the, the not way better. It was, it was, it had a a, a more dominant defensive line, in my opinion, in okay. 2020. Uh, and, and you know, I think I yeah, I think that I think it was the 20. I'd go with the 2005 offense, no question. No question. Now, I think if you were to give me maybe the 2018 defense with the 2015 offense, then we might have a different conversation. I'd probably go with the 15 and 18 unit because I think okay. 18 was probably still Notre Dame's best all-around defense uh, of the Brian Kelly tenure. Okay. Uh, my opinion. All right. Robert 
uh, Rubinaccio Sr., uh, who has the best potential to start this season, Fisher or Spindler or neither? I, I think this is an easy one. Um, it's got to be Blake Fisher, right? I mean, Rocco yeah. Spindler is doing a great job, mm-hmm. but I just I feel like because of the situation and because of everything that's going on and mm-hmm. seeing what he brings to the table, both physically and <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's got to be Fisher for me. Yeah. Real quick, so Robert actually is a moderator for a a Facebook group called that goes by the name Notre Dame Football News that has over twenty three thousand members. Wow! So if you're looking for a a Facebook group, obviously we have our Irish Breakdown Notre Dame uh, Football Fan Group, but also I'm a moderator for that same. So check that check that group out that Robert's uh, one of the moderators for. But we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I had to go with one, I would, it, you know, to me, neither is not an option. One of them will start yeah. barring injury. And if I agree, if I can only go with one, I'm going to go with Fisher. I think Fisher, to me, not only is he their their best tackle, you know, he might he might end up by the end of the year being their best lineman from what people have told yeah. me. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far because, you know, we've seen him play one spring game, whereas we've seen Jarrett Patterson play two full years. But that's the hype coming out about the kid, about how good he was this spring. Yeah. So I, I would go with him. I think there's a much better chance that both of them start than neither of them start. I mean, excuse me, much, much better chance for that. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Frank Anthony uh, has kind of a, a question on how things work in the summertime around here. When the players return in June, can they practice or what can they do? Okay, so there's a couple things that they do. Number one is the organized aspects of this uh, are are about the strength conditioning program, weight rooms, right? You know, so they'll be in the weight room, yeah. they'll be on the field running and things like that. From right. a no football, football no right. footballs, you can't have and no and no coaches. It's just the well. The I weight think room the staff, new rule right? is the new rule is that coaches are allowed to be part of that. Now I don't know if oh, that's really? only for the winter. Or if okay. that's also for the summer, gotcha. But it can't be football related. It can't be right. football specific. Like you're out there with footballs and running through Going formations and, and things yeah. like that. 
Now, what they'll do is, is they will then do that on their own. The players will organize right. seven on sevens. The offensive linemen will go through drills and workouts together. So a lot of that stuff is sort of player led. The official coaches out there going through football specific things does not begin until August. But right. the strength program is is geared towards football specific things. So it, it's not like they're just out there powerlifting and running wind sprints. Right. I mean, there are things that are geared towards football specific traits and skills. And in a normal year, they're at camps, you know, they're helping out with with some of the camps. They're doing mm-hmm. Some other things on campus, right. things of that nature, football 101, you know, things like that. But And summer mm-hmm. school, of course. They're also doing summer school. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Stephen B., here we go. When recruiting services rank players, do they put more weight on how good they will be as freshmen or on their developmental upside? And which do you think the ND staff values more? So the recruiting rankings put it on, it's about guys that they view as the best now right now they say they project to the nfl and who are the best nfl prospects which i think is just completely pointless in my opinion because i'm not projecting an 18 year old high school senior or a 17 year old high school junior and now that they're ranking sophomores how is this kid going to be yeah. an nfl player right. how's he going to be a 22 it, yeah. it's a guess and also i don't really care how a guy does the nfl if a guy's a great player in college like if Ian Book never plays a down in the NFL, does it take away from what he did in college? I don't think it does. And the same thing with a lot of guys. But they look at they look at more weight on the the the, the players how they are today, uh, Stephen. That, and that's a good question. Now for what Notre Dame values, Notre Dame, it, it, I Notre Dame is sort of on the same side as me. They care more about what a guy can be down the road. Now right. there are players like Kyle Hamilton, and we've seen guys like that that are both. They're guys that can play now, and also guys that can you know also have potential. So it's not like Notre Dame is like, oh, you're ready to play as a freshman. We're looking more for the guy that's going to take three years. Right. That's not what they're looking at, but they care more about what is the guy's ceiling. You know, and, and sometimes your ceiling and your floor are both really high. Sure. Other times it's it's like a Jeremiah. I mean, look. You can say, well, you know, they kind of got lucky with Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. You know, who knew he was going to pan out? Well, Mike Elko did and Clark Lee did because they tried to recruit him at Wake Forest. And then the minute they got the job, that was one of the first phone calls they made was to, to get to Jeremiah Wusukoromoa because they knew they had no chance of getting him at Wake Forest and they, they thought they could get a chance at him. I mean, so that was a that was a strategic get. That's a guy that they saw as being a high upside player. Now, did they see him as the Buckus Award winner? I, I don't know about that, but. They clearly saw a lot of potential, which is why they worked so hard to get him. And that is, I mean, Jeremiah was barely 200 pounds when when he came to Notre Dame. Yeah. So that was definitely a <laughs> developmental thing. You know, when Notre Dame flipped Adi Takumba Ogundiji from Western Michigan, they weren't looking at him as a guy that was going to play as a freshman. They were looking at what his upside was going to be. Right, absolutely. Dalen Hayes is a little different. You know, Dalen was a guy that they thought could come in and play right away, and he did. You know, so there's a, a bit of a combination, but at the end of the day, what Notre Dame cares most about, what I care most about, is what is the guy going to be when he reaches his peak? And if that means a guy needs some time to get there, then then that's fine. If the guy can be that right away, that's good too. But it's more about the the. I wouldn't even say developmental side. I say it's more about the ceiling than it is the floor. Dylan Hoffman has a recruiting question. Any word on how Mickens and Freeman's call went with Jair? Uh, I read your article that said he'd be hard to flip, but it seems like those two are putting in the work. They are, and and, and this is a this is a tough situation because you're you're trying to recruit a kid to come play football for you who just lost his father. 
you know, who last month. And so, I mean, it's a really delicate situation. Absolutely, I mean, yeah. uh, and, and I, and I don't envy them at all for that, uh, for being in that situation. But I just look, they're putting in the work and that's all you can ask. If they're able to flip him, then that is just an absolute phenomenal job. I just don't see it. I think that number one, he's already built so many bonds and connections with the, with the Ohio state recruits. And when you lose a father and what I was told that he had lost his mother previously, when, when you're in a situation like that, I mean, your, your brothers, your teammates, those are the guys you're going to rely on. And, and that's right now where he has the bonds is with the Ohio state kids. Now, can, can Notre Dame overcome that? Sure. But it's, it's going to be soup. It was always going to be tough. Mm-hmm. It's going to be even tougher now uh, to be in that situation. But, um, you know, I couldn't imagine going through at that age, what Jair Brown's going through, you know, my heart breaks for the kid. And I just, I have a hard time really focusing on his recruitment just because I'm just more worried about is, is the kid okay? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, does he have family that's there to take care of? You know, those are the things i I think about, but recruiting wise, I just, I don't, I don't see that one working out for Notre Dame and, and, and they'll be okay. They're after Devin Moore. They're after Benjamin Morrison. They're, they're after some, some good football players at the cornerback position that to me are every bit as good as Jair Brown. Maybe those guys aren't as ready to play day one as Jair Brown would be, but, but there's a lot of talent at the quarterback. Plus Jaden Mickey just had a, a great, a great junior season and, and a breakout junior season. Thomas Walsh throwing you some more love about the QB show. Finished it this morning at 6 a.m. Love the format with tape look, and how to critically watch it. Let me say something. Everybody's fired up about that. I want to see the people that are excited when we get done with the guard video, okay? If you're fired <laughs> up after we do the o- the guard tackle breakdown, then you're then you're a true, a true film junkie. Everyone that. gets excited about quarterback. But if we're talking about nose tackles and guards and stuff and you're still fired up, then you're my people. That's all I'm going to say about that one. <laughs> Jay wants to know what you think about the new hashtag think big recruiting pitch on Twitter from the coaching staff. I, I love it. It's it's basically, a, to me, a play on of the four for 40 thing. It's just about another way to get that across. Because here's what's happened. The only thing that I remember Notre Dame really being ahead of the curve on is the four for 40 thing. Well, if you look around the country, everybody's every program's using that now. You know, everybody's stealing that for a four for 40 thing to try to negate right. you know, the, the, the Notre Dame push. Well, now, you know, this thing, big thing to me is just another example of that. When they're on the phone with these kids, when they're talking to these kids, it's about, hey, look, it's not just about, you know, I like this coach or this campus is cool or these girls are pretty or these girls are not pretty or whatever the case may be. It's it's you need to be thinking bigger. And, and it's not just about the academic thing. It's about look at what we're doing with the NFL and all these different things. And that's where Notre Dame is in such a unique position right now compared to past years is Notre Dame is finally in the place where they can not only sell what's so great about the institution, the academics, the four for 40 thing, but they've had two playoff appearances in the last three years. They, they have put more players in the NFL. They put as many players in the NFL this year, as any team in the Pac-12 has done in the last two years combined. Oregon's the only team that can tie it with nine. You know, Alabama and Ohio State were the only teams to put more guys in the NFL this year. So th- so now, right now, Notre Dame has everything working in its, in its favor with the exception of one thing, and that is a championship. But that's sure. also kind of a thing because you can now say, hey, you can say exactly what I just said. Look, guys, two playoff appearances in three years. We've been in the top four. If you think about, let's see, 15 – 17, 18, 
in 20. So the, the college football playoff has been around for what, six, seven years. Notre Dame has reached the top four in four of those years. Yeah. Uh, you know, Hey, look, we, you're the key. You could be the difference getting over the, over the hump. So I, uh, you know, they're in a great position and I think that's also helped their recruiting efforts, but I think having guys like Mickens and Freeman and Elston, uh, really putting in the work Reese on the offensive side is also a big factor in it. It's, it's really getting close to being the perfect storm. If they could just get a couple coaches to kind of get that going, you know, this, this could end up being a, a really special class for Notre Dame and 23 has a chance to be even better from the way that they're starting. Lauren Hamilton. I think we talked about this on Wednesday as well. Mm-hmm. Is there no chance Nolan Ziegler plays safety? I, I don't see it. I mean, he's already almost 210 pounds. Uh, talking to a source earlier this week, actually. He's already close to 210 pounds. He's 6'4". Uh, he, he's athletic, but I just I think Rover's the position that they're recruiting him to play. Uh, could, he, could he end up staying at safety? Maybe, but I just... I don't see it because the thing is, when you look at Nolan Ziegler, he's he's not exactly he, he's not exactly Kyle Hamilton from a build standpoint. You know what I mean? We're like, you know, Kyle's got you know he's not going to be two thirty, right? I don't see it. You know, Nolan could be two thirty pretty easily, and so they have different body types. Even though right now they're technically, you know, they're technically very similar in size. Nolan is similar in size as a junior in high school to where Kyle Hamilton is as a junior in college. Yeah. So I just I, I believe he's he's gonna he's gonna grow go. his way yeah, out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tagalo Kane, I apologize if I uh, mispronounced your name. I'm an FSU fan, and I want to know how much you guys think Andy will win by in Week One. It's too early for me to be making score predictions and things of that nature. There's still more I need to see uh, from both teams. Frankly, I I haven't done a deep dive into Florida State yet. Um, I, I think Notre Dame will win. But I'm not ready to go there as far as uh, differentials and, and things of that nature. You know, for me, when you look at a game like this, Vince, you have to look at the matchups. And, sure. and that's the thing is when you look at Florida State, the areas where Florida State is the weakest are areas where Notre Dame is arguably the strongest. Offensive line. Offensive line against Notre Dame's front yeah. seven. You know, yeah. I think Florida State has good weapons. I think at running back, you know, uh, they have – the kid Corbin, Deshaun Corbin, who originally was at Texas A&M, they have Tefili at running back. You know, they've got they had the kid from UCF, Mackenzie Milton, transferring a quarterback. They still have Jordan Travis. You know, the receivers are going to be real young. And this is the other thing: is the areas where Florida State, where Notre Dame isn't necessarily where we have question marks about Notre Dame, are not necessarily areas where Florida State has the proven talent to say they can go get it. I mean, so Tamori sure. and Terry is gone. Some of the guys that they had a receiver that were their more talented players. Uh, they're not there. They they had a lot of freshmen making plays for them in, in the in the spring game. So I just don't think Florida State matches up with Notre Dame in week one. Now, could that look different if we, they played in week 10? Sure. Uh, I, I like Mike Norvell as a coach. I think Mike Norvell is a good football coach. I think they're starting yep, to get a little too. bit of movement on the recruiting trail. But he inherited a program that was filled with cancers. Yeah. And it's going to take him a couple years to, to remove all those cancers from the program and, and have to fight to make sure that those cancers don't leave their after effects when they're gone. And so I think it's going to take Florida State at least two years to start getting a little bit on the right track. And I hope the Florida State fans are, are patient with him because I don't think Florida State fans understood just how maybe they do. But the ones that I've talked to don't understand. They're just now figuring out how bad Willie Taggart was. 
and how bad of a shape <laughs> he left that program right. in. I mean, right. really bad shape. And right. Mike Marvell, not, it has to deal with the expectations of Florida State, but then also just the absolute disaster that he left with. Not only did he not recruit well, but just the, the things that he allowed to happen as the head coach has just made that a program that's just, just a mess. So maybe by the end of the year, they're yeah. in a better situation, but by week one, I just don't see Florida State having the horses to beat Notre Dame unless it's a situation where Notre Dame turns the ball over a bunch of times. And I don't yeah, see there's just massive injuries, you know. Right. The, yeah. Uh, all right. ND Dog 1045 has a very interesting proposal here for you slash us. Um, QB podcast was great. What would also be fun if you want to do a monster podcast is to watch a game with you from last season or two where you break down play calling and adjustments, chess game, etc. So basically, it would be like the uh, the special features on a movie where mm-hmm. we have commentary throughout the entire. What was game. that? Was like was it like Mystery Science Theater three thousand or something yeah. like that where they would do right? that? You just see like the back of our heads, yeah. like in front of the game. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Here's the only issue with that is copyright, and, and I don't know oh. how Notre Dame would handle that. You know, like if I Good found a, a a Notre Dame video. So here's an example of what I'm talking about. So remember last year during the pandemic, and we started saying we were going to do that weekly game watch thing. Well, by the second week, when we would start playing the game, Notre Dame, someone from Notre Dame would go put a copyright claim on the game, and the games would disappear. Uh, so I just that's why I kind of gave up on doing that last year, which is. You know, because clearly Notre Dame doesn't have enough money, so mm-hmm. they have to make sure they have the copyright. So I just don't know how they would handle that. I'm 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 concerned they'd put a copyright claim on my channel, and you get a couple of those, and you're out of there. So that'd be the only concern about that. I, I'll I'll look into that. I'll ask some people about that to just to kind of see what what the the ability to do that is, and if we were to do it, it might have to be a situation where we take a road game. You know, to where then Notre Dame can't make a copyright claim. It's not there. Yeah. You know, but then I don't know if ESPN will too. So let me let me think about that. Let me make some some calls and stuff about that because that'd be a lot of fun. You know, people ask about streaming the the blue gold game. The problem is it's you know there's there's copyright involved in that, and I need to make sure that my channel's not getting getting dings with copyrights because you know this is how we make a living. So I'll, I'll look into that, but I I would love to do that. That'd be a blast to do that that'd be a yeah. lot of fun it would be a lot of fun and, and say hey here's why they made that call or here's why that play worked or why it didn't work or whatever the case may be be a lot of fun all right dylan hoffman back in the queue i read rudder's article on angeli and his recruiting efforts when was the last time nd had a quarterback put in this much work on the trail i mean drew pine i was gonna say drew pine was yeah. huge drew pine just wasn't as trail. talkative to media people about it but trust right. me drew pine was very involved in notre dame's recruiting efforts phil Dracovic was as well but more of a again it was a behind the scenes kind of thing uh in, in that regard so yeah they've had some guys do that in the past notre dame 2164 i'm ignorant when it comes to formations and such how would you go about getting kyron williams and chris tyree on the field at the same time would one of them be lined up as a receiver? That, that is an endless question, to be honest with you. That, that, that is where we get to see the creativity of Tommy Reese, to mm-hmm. be honest, in my opinion, um, because you could put them in the backfield together. You could put one out in the slot. You could put, two of the, you could put both of them out in the slot and go empty. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of different things that you can do with both of those running backs. Um, you could put them in motion. You could, you could motion one out of the backfield and into the – like I said – creativity is the only is the 
how creative Tommy Reese is is the only uh, you know barrier to mm-hmm. the, that question, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, look, it, there, it's going to be down to a part of three things, right? If all those things, Vince is right, there's a lot of different ways they could do it. But just from a formational standpoint, essentially there's three things that they can do. And that is, number one is you put them both in the backfield at the same time. Now, how you would do that is you would have – you could do a couple different things. You could have – and most likely it's you have them shotgun and you have them both side by side to the quarterback. Now, out of that, you can do a lot of different things. You can have Kyron lead blocking for Chris. You can run you know, some read zone stuff where you kind of you know ride the inside zone and have the other one wheel around and, and do some things there whether you want to pitch it or, you know, carry out an option fake or just swing it. Um, there are things you can do where you can free release them out of the backfield in the pass game. The other option is to put Kyron Williams or Chris Tyree, one of the two in the slot or outside mm-hmm. as a look, sort of like another receiver. It, when they threw the ball to Chris Tyree, they actually had him as an outside guy in an empty. And then they motioned him in, in a stack formation. A stack is essentially when you have, Two guys right behind each other is called a stack formation. A bunch is when they're not stacked on top, but they're really they're close together. Usually, right. usually that's like three. It almost looks like a triangle. Right. right. Yeah. And Notre Dame does a lot of that too. But uh, you can then put them in the slot, which is essentially you have an outside guy and then a tackle. And then the, in between that is the slot. It's called the slot. Okay. You can put them to the field to where, you know, maybe have a tight end and an outside receiver and they're in the slot inside, or you can put them outside, put the receiver in the slot, but essentially they're in a receiver position. And then as Vince alluded to, the the other option is, is you could put both of them out in receivers and go empty. And then from that, you can motion them into the backfield and do all types of things in that regards. But essentially, right. you know, Vince is correct. And from a big picture standpoint, that there's a lot of different things you can do but if you had to break it down into three categories, it's like two where in the backfield. The ball is snapped. Right. Yeah. Two in right. the backfield, one in the backfield, one outside, or both outside. Is and that's what people. What and, that, and that's what people need to understand: motions and formation shifts and things like that. That's window dressing to try to get an advantage. But at the end of the day, the formate there's only so many formations that you can have with with those guys both on the field, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, it, it, like I said, the creativity comes from the window dressing. Uh, the motions, the the shifts, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So, yeah. all right. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this one up, Vince. This is from Maddie K. So Maddie K. Fifty five apparently did not like my answer, so he's now asking you. Well, I don't know that I have an answer. That's hey, Vince, I part. asked Brian this yesterday <laughs> in the sophomore show, and Brian had a great take. Yeah, great take. Mm-hmm, sure. Uh huh. <laughs> and can you can add more if you want? But Vince, what are your feelings on OSU? Dude, Tyreek Johnson should Notre Dame pursue Vince? I'll just refresh your memory a little bit. Tyreek Johnson was is from. Uh, Jacksonville, Florida. He went to Trinity. I think Trinity Christian, okay. I think, is where he was from in Florida. Jacksonville uh, was a receiver DB duo guy, if you remember, five-star recruit. So I'm not sure if you remember him, but he is a cornerback now. He's a sophomore cornerback at Ohio State, and he is now in the portal. So, Oh, should Notre Dame pursue? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know what your take on it was, but if this – if this, um, and I don't know what his off the field, if there's any of that going on, but – I haven't heard anything negative okay. about that. Yeah. So a five-star corner um, who's a sophomore, I, I say bring him in, let him compete. I, the way I, I'm very much of the of the side of iron sharpens iron. You bring mm-hmm. in good guys, they're going to make the other good guys better. Now I'm fairly comfortable with the cornerback room right now. Um, I am. I think there's a lot of talent there, and that's a lot of young talent. So you could look at this both ways. One, iron sharpens iron. You bring in a good guy, it elevates everybody's play. 
The other thing you could do, you bring him in and it destroys the chemistry of what's going on right now in that cornerback room. Mm -hmm. I don't think Mike Mickens would allow that to happen. Um, but so I would be in favor of bringing him in, but you got to know, you've got to make sure that you've got the right room mm -hmm. to absorb a transfer, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and that would absolutely be something that you would have to think about. If, if Mike Mickens is open to it, and he thinks he's got a good room to absorb that in. I say do it. But mm -hmm. if he, if he thinks that, look, I got a lot of young guys who are earning their way, you know, bringing in a new guy, just, it might hurt that, you know what I mean? Like they did, uh, on Miracle, when when uh, Herb Brooks brought in the kid from Minnesota, that was all part of the mind games of the absolutely. great Herb Brooks. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But you know, yeah. it it brought those guys together, and then right. they let that guy go. Well, you can't right. really do that in the transfer portal. You can't bring him in and then let him go. So, um, uh, so I would be careful, but I would be all for it if if the room is right. My my only so first of all, if you're going to take a transfer, he'd be a, an example of a guy you'd want to look for in theory. <clears throat> Uh, I said no yesterday, but but I'm making an in theory point. I am more attracted to transfers that so like, you know, you, people ask what about receiver, and I'm no, I don't want a receiver. However, you look at Jamie Nance who's leaving Nebraska. I'd look at him because okay. Jamie Nance is a sophomore who has three years of eligibility left. You know, so it's a little different situation. You're going to have to develop him. He's not that ready made at mediocre player. I think you're going to tend to get more high level talented kids in the younger classes as opposed to the, the graduate transfers, because if they were that good, they'd be going to the NFL. He's still there. They'd be going to the NFL. Yeah, right. exactly. With Tyreek Johnson, however, I mean, he's leaving Ohio State. You know, I'm going to guess, because I haven't read why he's leaving Ohio State, but I'm going to guess it's because he's not playing much. Well, he's not going to come to Notre Dame and be happy to sit the bench at Notre Dame. Right, That's true. my concern. And then there's a depth chart at Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, there's and, a lot. And of I don't think Tyreek Johnson automatically walks in the in the room and starts over guys that are at Notre Dame right now. And, and so that's that would be my my big concern. And, and the other part of it is that. is none of the guys at Notre Dame are necessarily veterans other than Tariq Bracy. <laughs> Tariq Bracy is the only guy that's out of eligibility after this year. And technically, he's not out of eligibility because of the COVID year. Ah, good point. So, you know, all those guys at Notre Dame are young. So you bring in Tyreek Johnson, knowing that you know you may force somebody already in the team out if it doesn't work out. But then sure. you get a chance where Tyreek Johnson comes in, he's not starting, and then is he going to be grumpy? And now he's screwed because now if he's right. going to transfer again, he's got to sit out a year. So it's it's not as easy as I mean, people think it's like you know NCAA where you just go recruit guys and you add them to your roster. I mean, it, these are real people. Absolutely, and, no, and I, absolutely. these are these are young people, and there's emotions involved, and there's unity and involved, why. and there's trust, and and and, and sure. It's not as easy as just plug this guy into your situation. I mean, it's, yeah, and that's it's why I said you got to know the room. You you have to know your room. You have to know your coach. All of that, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and I think there's talent there. I don't know that mm -hmm. it's necessary. I always want to upgrade on the talent, but I don't know that it's necessary. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, let's see here, Timothy. It's a great question. I, this is a really good question. I was just yeah. going to say the same thing. Since Ian Book never really anticipated routes well or threw receivers open, how do we know if Reese was coaching it? Can we count on QBs doing it this year? Well, the answer is we don't really know because the only quarterback that you can really put on Tommy Reese as being responsible for truly developing is Ian Book. And the reason I say that is, is yes, he coached Brandon Wimbush for two years, but Brandon Wimbush spent, what, two seasons with with uh, Mike Sanford, and, and that was his formative years. I mean, your first sure. two years are your formative years, Absolutely. truly your formative years. And, and and I just I didn't I didn't um, 
You know, I don't. I think Brandon Wimbush was damaged goods from a throwing the football standpoint before Tommy Reese showed up as the quarterbacks coach. Uh, with Ian Book, I have always kind of felt that his issues were more were more him than it was necessarily Notre Dame, and we're going to find that out when he gets to the NFL. If he improves in that area, then we're going to know it's a Notre Dame problem. But it's just hard for me to know that answer. But I don't think I we'll know it this. if Jack Cohn is the quarterback either. Well, but he, it, true because he he was right, developed by saying. somebody else exactly. Right. But I'll say this: here's something I'll say. The fact that we saw Tyler Buckner, Jack Cohn, and Drew Pine all throwing in the spring game with multiple snaps of really good anticipation and timing, and we showed that in the post game, the post game video. I showed a video of Jack Cohn doing it, which you'd expect. Again, this is a guy that was taught to do that at Wisconsin. But then when you saw Drew Pine doing it, when you mm-hmm. saw Tyler Buckner doing it, you're saying either they recruited three guys that just know how to read defenses or they did that plus Tommy <laughs> Reese is doing a good job of developing. Yeah, right. So I don't know if I can definitively answer that question anytime soon because of what you said, Vince, is if Jack Cohn does it, is that Tommy Reese or is that Paul Christ? Right, right. Or, or is it a combination of both? And But so it's it's more about is it something that's going on throughout your entire depth chart to me, I think that's a thing. And and the reason I think it was more Tommy uh, Ian Book related than it was Tommy Reese related is just because of how Ian always acted whenever there was pressure. His eyes went down, and that's what he focused on. And that's not a coaching thing. That's right. a quarterback thing. That's an instinctual. I yeah. mean, that's just who you are. Yeah. Right. Okay. I almost started reading the question without putting it up. Uh, Kenny Moore. <laughs> when these, don't I have people for that? I mean, come right. on. Um, you're you're Kenny Moore for that, Vince. <laughs> right. More of a comment, uh, but I'm sure you want to comment on the comment. When these recruiting services get a good extended look at Bradshaw, he is going to shoot up the rankings. Mm-hmm. In no way is that kid a three star. I agree, um, yeah. but you know, there's been plenty of Notre Dame players that I would say, "How the heck is that guy a three star?" That still yeah. ended up as three stars. Uh, I just I don't worry too much about that. But I think Kenny's right. I think if Here's the key, though, is is Xavion going to do any camps this summer? Because that's the best way to get yourself move up Absolutely. the rankings. It has no nothing to do question. really with football, you know, real football. Because it's all about. I always love these camp receivers. By two four seven, are they sponsored yeah. by? And I love these yeah, camp rivals. these camp receivers that are diving for balls and laying out of the middle, knowing they're not going to get hit. You know, and these quarterbacks that you know right. take these gritty throws and they know they're not going to get hit. You know, to me, that's why I say I'm very skeptical. I look for certain things like, you know, athleticism, foot quickness, you know, what's your route technique, things like that. But guys play seven on seven a whole lot different than they play real football. And anyone that's ever been to a seven on seven tournament will tell you that they don't play football the same way in a seven on seven that they do. uh, And and same thing with one on ones. I mean, guys will take these big inside releases to get free. And I'm like, okay, you just got your, uh, uh, two hands to your chest from the middle linebacker, the way you right. took that release. You know right. what I mean? Well, and you did and 17 different moves to get open. Like, okay, you better hope that you've got Quentin Nelson left guard and Ronnie Stanley left tackle and Zach Martin a right guard. You know what I mean? Because you're going to need a lot of time for that well, quarterback to be sitting back in the pocket as long as you took to run that route. You, you and I have coached a lot of seven-on-seven. Seven and, no, actually, and I never I never did. did that you? was really – I that got out of coaching you? before seven on seven, and I was well, my last two years. I was in Virginia, and Virginia didn't have any kind of seven on seven or spring football or anything like that. Wow. Well, so, I, yeah. I've done a lot of seven on sevens, and I, and let me tell you, you can get very excited about a kid uh, watching him in a seven on seven. I'm talking about receivers, mm-hmm. um, and then as soon as he puts on pads, and it, it's, it's and the other team's different. allowed to hit him. Yeah, yeah, it's a completely different human. Yeah. And, and the same thing with quarterbacks, because a lot of times quarterbacks start drifting around. 
Um, you can't do that when there's a pocket. Mm-hmm. Like you can't drift to the right and to the you know for right. the most part. And then my favorite is the throw over the middle. Uh, where you know with with a kid who really would literally be running through three linebackers, mm-hmm. but is wide open. And the throw is five feet off the ground right. when that would have gone right through the back of the neck of an offensive lineman. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. it's not real football. I mean, yeah. you can see, you can get some stuff out of seven on seven, but it's not real football. It's, right. it's just not. And it doesn't translate very well, to be right. honest with you. So, but if he goes gonna, to a seven on seven or a camp or something like that, that'll raise well, that'll raise does. his rankings. It just but, does. Yeah. You know, but, but I actually kind of hope it doesn't. Because there are schools, that, and this is kind of crazy to me, poach, but I know yeah. this to be true. I know this to be true. There are coaching staffs that do put value on recruiting rankings. And they all say they oh, don't. Yeah. But, I look, I've been told by people that, that Georgia's coaches get uh, bonuses for finishing in the top whatever in recruiting rankings. Oh, I'm sure. So if you're a coach that's going to get a bonus are you, and you're coming down to this kid that you think is a good player that's a three-star and maybe this kid who maybe might not think is as good of a player – Start thinking about it. Okay, I could take this kid, and maybe it works out. And he's a good player, but if I take this kid, I'm gonna, you know, it's gonna help me get, you know, hundred thousand dollar raise or something like I that. Mean, you know, no so brainer. There are anyway. coaches that do that. <laughs> so I mean, the, the longer he stays a three star, the the better chance that programs like Georgia and try to poke. Clemson yeah. and those kind of teams don't jump in on him. So um, yeah, I hope he stays in the shadows. Dynasty ISP looks like Cone is the starter. Agreed. Uh, who gets more snaps this season, Buckner? Or Pine, I, mm-hmm. I I think that 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 remains to be seen. Let's put it that way. I I, mm-hmm. I think that they both deserve to get reps. Um, it's very difficult to get three different quarterbacks reps in a game. Um, I, I think I don't know. I I it, it's I'm very interested to see how Tommy Reese and Brian Kelly deal with the fact that they've got two pretty good guys sitting on the bench while while Cone is in there. Are they going to get quality number one reps? Is there a package for one or both? Um, I, I don't know what I would do. <clears throat> what I know I would want to do is to get both of them in the game somehow, some way. It's not going to happen in the same game, I wouldn't imagine. There might be certain games they circle, this is yours, this is yours. You know, I don't know how they're going to do it, but I think both of those guys deserve to get reps. Um, I just don't, I don't know how it's going to play out. I really don't. I think it depends on whether or not Tyler Buckner gets that situational role that we've talked about. Because right. I think that's the best way to get three quarterbacks playing time is sure you 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 know Tyler Buckner's getting reps in, in the, as the red zone short yardage guy, and then when you get a big lead in the end of a game, you, you put Drew Pine in, yeah. and that's that's who gets the first reps. And then you know maybe you give Buckner a series running the regular offense late in the third quarter of the Toledo game, but then after that you let Pine come in and get the fourth quarter because he needs to be groomed and get snaps as well. So. I think the best way to get three quarterbacks the ball is for Tyler Buckner to have a a role on the football team in in normal situations, and then when you need to put your backup quarterback in the game, you put Drew Pine in the game. Yep, that's that's the way that I would. That's do it. I I would agree with that as well. It's a good question. I mean, that's a good <clears> question, <throat> and and you know, it's like uh, it just it just depends on what that role is for Buckner because then you, you're gonna if you don't do that role with Buckner, then you have to have a clear determination of who that next quarterback is, right? And who's then one, now who's, somebody's yeah, who's three. three. Somebody's three legitimately three. Three is not getting on the field. I mean, right. just not. And you wonder so, how long three is going to be here. Because there's a, a chance. Solid point. And it's nobody talks about Brendan Clark either. I mean, that's the other the other part of this. Because he's been injured, can, yeah. Can Brendan Clark make a charge up the depth chart with a good offseason if he's healthy? It's, it's going to be interesting. Get him rock. Whatever happened to Quinn Carroll, Brian? So – 
Quinn to- uh, was was actually doing pretty well as a freshman. He tore his knee up. Uh, I think it was in fall camp of, or maybe it was yeah, fall camp of the 2019 season, or maybe it was. I can't remember when it was, but he he tore his knee up, and it was a long recovery, which meant it was pretty damaging. It was a pretty bad knee injury. And I think this past year, he was his first year kind of getting back and getting healthy. And I think he's going to need some time to get back. I, I thought he lumbered a little bit in the in the spring game, Vince. I thought he lumbered a little bit in some of the clips that we saw, which tells me he's he's not quite back yet to where gotcha. he's fully full strength in his knee. But, um, you know, it's a big year for him because, you know, he's a kid that's – the thing is, the like, Carol and Christophic are in unique situations because even if they don't start this year – they get an extra year of eligibility because of COVID. They're already redshirt sophomores normally. They're battling for, okay, I may not start this year, but Josh Lugg's leaving next year, and there's a Jared chance Patterson Jared Patterson could. may be gone next year. Yeah. And so, you know, the guy that kind of emerges as that third guard in this this year's team is going to have a chance to step in and be that starting guard next year when, when Jared Patterson, if Jared Patterson goes in, which is not a given by any stretch of imagination. Stay the course. Stay the course. All right. Um, one of my favorite movies, by the way. Okay. okay. Let's see here. Uh, <laughs> our resident FSU fan says they've got a lot of question marks on both sides of the ball. Agreed. And we kind of discussed that earlier when we were mm-hmm. talking about it. Uh, yeah. but I like the fact that he's coming into a Notre Dame chat, asking legit Absolutely. questions and being awesome. objective about his program. I, I awesome. appreciate that very much. Yeah, appreciate that very awesome. much. It's good to have you in. I, I think it's great. This is the second Florida State fan that's joined our show and asked that's a great. legitimate question, which that's I great. think is awesome. Robert wants to know, was Johnson overrated as a five-star receiver? Well, he just says, was Johnson overrated as a five-star? Is that Jordan Johnson or Tyreek Johnson? I Oh, I assume that, he meant that, Jordan, but I, yeah, I guess I Yeah, because we were talking about sure. Tyreek Johnson earlier. So I don't think either one was necessarily overrated. Look. Good point. The only way a guy, in my opinion, the only way a guy can be overrated is if you evaluate him and view him as being overrated at the time. Because just because a guy goes to college and doesn't pan out doesn't mean he wasn't good then. Sure. He was good then. He maybe went to a place that had a position coach that that maybe didn't coach him up. You know, maybe he, you know, got a girlfriend. And you and I have both seen situations where a freshman gets a girlfriend and football just doesn't become as important to him anymore. That doesn't mean he was overrated in high school. I mean, that happens. Kids get injured. Kids go to a system. I've seen kids go to a system like, oh, that that's a bad decision because that is not a system that's going to be good for his skill set. So there's all types of things that go into. And sometimes kids are actually pretty good players. It's just that there's players that are even better and so yeah there have been offensive linemen at notre dame that never started that you say boy that kid probably could have started for a lot of other teams he just was buried behind offensive i mean sure. tommy tremble technically was not a starter at notre dame he got drafted in the third round of the nfl draft yeah, you right. know you know right. brock wright was a guy that was never better than the third tight end in the draft and he, he or in notre dame and he's in the nfl right now you know i mean it was was brock wright overrated or was brock wright buried behind you know, the, the number one tight end in one draft class and the number two tight end in another draft class. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. So I, I just, I, I kind of don't love that idea. If you didn't think a guy was overrated at the time, I don't love the idea of going back and, and saying he was overrated down the road because he didn't play. I just, I mean, and that's just my personal thing. That's my, that's just my personal thing. Now, I know sometimes you have Facebook pulled up. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, this you- is from, this is Jeff Bowden, Jeffrey okay. Bowden. Thank you. Yep. Uh, guys, when you first started following the Irish as a kid, 
Who was your favorite player? Mine was Tom Clements. I this one's pretty easy for me. Uh, it's Rick Meyer. Okay. Uh, I had myself a Rick Meyer Seattle Seahawks jersey mm. because he went number one in the draft. Um, two. I'm sorry. I, I had I had a Rick Meyer jersey in my closet. Uh, my dad actually worked on his wedding. So he got me like an autograph, you know. I thought that was the friggin' bee's knees, man. I I was I was pretty pumped up. Uh, I was actually younger than my current son is now, so that tells you right there. But um, that I thought that was pretty darn cool. And so he was the, he was my guy when I first started watching Notre Dame football. My um, favorite player as a kid is still my all time favorite player at Notre Dame, and that's Rocket. That was yeah, my guy. I, I, knew I, I was going. ten. You know, <laughs> that eighty eight season was kind of when I got hooked on Notre Dame. You know, the Miami game is what started my Notre Dame fandom. The USC game put me over the top, and it was forever cemented when they won the title. I mean, again, I was 10 years old. It was that very formative year. My dad was a Notre Dame fan, and I just fell in love with it. And then, of course, over the next two years, you know, it was like like watching the Reggie Bush of that era. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what – but but faster, but way faster. You know I mean? Yeah. I said this to people, could you imagine Rocket – in the modern offense. Oh. Could you imagine Rocket at Oregon under Chip Kelly or in, you know, in a modern, you know, offense like at Clemson or some or Ohio State or something like that? Could you imagine Rocket running all those crossing routes at Ohio State has their receivers running? It'd just be stupid. Yeah. It'd be that, ridiculous. That's, Absolutely. But he was my yeah. favorite player growing up. All right, I got one more in me here, Brian. I'm going with AJ. Do you think that Sebo Flemister would start a lot at uh, start at a lot of other colleges? Obviously, a crowded backfield at Notre Dame, so I understand why he's third string. But love the way the kid runs. He is tough as nails. There's no question in my mind that Sebo Flemister would start at other schools. Um, it is unfortunate for him that Kyron Williams and Sebo Flemister are who I mean, sorry, Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree are who they are. Um, but there's still a role for Sebo Flemister as well on this team. There is no question about that. But he is good enough to start other places. I, I have I mean, no I'm doubt. Just in my looking mind. at the schedule, I think he'd start on two of the first three teams that Notre Dame plays this year. Yeah, good point. Toledo and Purdue. I mean, I think yeah, he'd no, start I, for those I, two. But yeah, that is a that's a really good point. It is two o'clock. I have to roll, Brian. I, I assume you see where we are, so mm-hmm. I will let mm-hmm. you take over. But thank you, everybody. Friday mailbag, the free-for-all is my best day of all. So I uh, will see you guys next week and hope you enjoy. Brian, take them home. Thanks, Vince. All right, we're going to keep rolling here. Kyle Dolan says, what does Brian Kelly have to change about the offense or his philosophy to change the perception that Notre Dame doesn't develop quarterbacks very well? Now, this is a good question, Kyle. I, if, you know, For me, the, the thing I've talked about is, Notre Dame has a very complex passing game that requires a quarterback to have a, to make a lot of different pre-snap decisions. And then there's also a lot of post-snap alterations. So part of the problem with the offense is, is a lot of times the quarterback can be unsure of, okay, is he going to run this route, that route, or the other route? Whereas you'll see miscommunications at a lot of places on like go routes. So if a, if a receiver's got running a go route, the 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 simple teaching point for a go route, for example, that's an outside vertical route. Is if the cornerback opens and runs bails and he's ahead of you, you know, in front of you or or deep, you come back at you know fifteen to eighteen yards. If the cornerback is even or behind you, or he's playing press man or playing cover two, then you take it vertical. And and those are some some easy post snap things. You know, if if you're run, teaching a hitch, you know, you run the six yard hitch, or other people teach it off of steps. You know, maybe a four step route. 
then you say, okay, well, then if he's pressed or it's cover two, then you convert it to a fade, something like that. What, but what Notre Dame does, from my understanding, is they'll convert to like three or four di- completely different routes depending on what the defense does after the snap. That's NFL stuff. I mean, that's very complex stuff. And, and that, to me, is what Notre Dame needs to get away from. And part of the reason that they've been successful early on with younger quarterbacks is they eliminate a lot of that so that the way the freshmen, you know, whether it was Everett Golson or, uh, or Deshaun Kaiser, Malik Zaire, Brandon Wimbush, uh, they, they would eliminate a lot of that and make it a lot more simplified from a read standpoint, which is why those quarterbacks were more successful early on. Then as they get more experience, they put more and more on the quarterback's shoulders. And and that to me is, is what I think the issue is. When you look at a lot of other programs, every quarterback has to make reads. Every, every offense for the most part has route conversions, but you just don't see the volume of, of offense that you see at Notre Dame. So not only does Notre Dame have all that, but because they run so many different plays and concepts, it's hard to really master any of them. If Notre Dame wanted to have all these route conversions, but only ran you know nine or ten pass concepts, then you could be more effective with all those different variations because you just don't have to learn as much, and then you can just focus on those concepts, and you just get really good at those concepts, and and you become effective. And that's what a lot of like Oklahoma, I mean, Oklahoma does has some some uh, some conversions and some different things that they do, but they don't have this, the volume of pass concepts that Notre Dame has had in the past. And and it's in we're in an era where teams are trying to simplify things for the quarterback from a a variant standpoint, and that's why RPOs are so effective because RPOs kind of serve the same you know the same objective as those other things, which is it's meant to always make you right. You know, you run a route concept, but it's if the quarterback just I'm either handing it off or I'm going to pull and throw it, so it's meant to make you right more. And as other teams are doing that, Notre Dame was then trending towards making things more complex. And, and I think that was a mistake. And I think that's why, you know, a guy like Tommy Reese was so successful because Tommy was so smart as a quarterback that he could he could pick all that stuff up. Now, he he didn't have the physical talent that some other quarterbacks had, which is why he was a little bit more turnover prone because he would try to take some chances that, you know, maybe a guy like Everett Golson physically could have made that Tommy couldn't. But the only reason Tommy Reese played as much as he did at Notre Dame is because of just how smart he was, and that's going to make him a good offensive coordinator. But most quarterbacks aren't like that, and I think that's that's been the mistake that that Notre Dame has has uh, has made. Ethaniel, uh, next question: Would the 2017 Notre Dame team have won more if Malik Zaire stayed for a fifth year, assuming the 2016 season was eradicated from his memory? I, I think so. I, I think Malik. Malik was a more self-assured person than Brandon. I think Malik would have Malik would have probably connected with with Chip Long relatively well because I think Malik could take hard coaching. Uh, and and had he been healthy, that's the other thing. Had Malik been 100% healthy, I think he would have been more effective. And had he not still had the the bitterness of how the quarterback situation was handled, rightful bitterness in my opinion. Uh, for how the, the the quarterback situation was handled in 2016, I, I do think Notre Dame would have been uh, a little bit more dynamic because I think Malik, M- you know, Malik had some of the ups and downs that Brandon had as a passer, but when Malik was on, he was far more effective as a passer than Brandon was. What Brandon became, anyway, not necessarily what Brandon. Brandon was a much better passer than Malik in high school, but Brandon regressed big time, and, and I believe a lot of it was. Um, 
a lot of it was on the coaching. And and there's a our Florida State guy, Tagalo Kane, says, why did Zaire go to Florida of all places? It made no sense. Now, if Malik would have gone to Florida under Dan Mullen, it would have made a lot of sense because he fits that offense very well. But I have no idea why he went and played for Jim McElwain. That made, made no sense whatsoever. All righty. Dylan Hoffman says, the 22 class defensively is shaping up nicely. But do you think it's fair to think that with a year under Mark's, Marcus Freeman's belt, what the best could be th- that the best could be yet to come in 2023 recruiting wise? You know, that's a very fair question, Dylan. And I think that it's more, it, it's maybe not so much the best, but more so about just the a consistency of, a, of excellence under Coach Freeman. If Notre Dame gets Junior Two Alamaka and Jalen Sneed and let's say Anthony Lucas and Devin Moore and Ben Morrison and then just say one of the safeties they like, well, even if it's not Nwangpa, it's Jake Pope, it's Sherrod Colville, it's it's um, uh, KJ Winston. That is one heck of a class to go with the three ends they already have, uh, to go with the linebackers they already have. I don't know if you can get better than that overall. I think maybe next year they do a little better at safety or corner or whatever. But I mean, you're gonna have a hard time repeating that level of success. I think you know, or out outperforming that level of success. I think at that point in time, what you want to see Coach Freeman do is do that every year. And that's what the great teams do. And that's what you we hope that Coach Freeman can do. And we got down here. We got a super chat. John A1, thank you very, very much for the support. What's your early prediction for the 2021 points per game for the Irish offense? Uh, you know, I I don't know if I necessarily have a pr- prediction yet, John. Um, my my goal is 40. I mean, I think that's where they need to be. And when you look at the schedule and, and you see who's on the schedule and, um, you know, just you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to pull it up here real quick, just so we can kind of go over this uh, program by program. I think that the schedule works out relatively well for Notre Dame from a scoring standpoint, but there's a stretch of games that is going to determine it. So, number one, Florida State, Toledo, uh, and and uh, Purdue. None of those teams are necessarily really strong uh, scoring scoring defenses. Obviously, Toledo is a well coached team. And they gave up 24 points per game last year, which is not great, but not terrible. But Toledo gave up 32 points the year before that. They're a well-coached team, but they're just not going to have the horses to hang with Notre Dame. You know, Purdue has really struggled defensively. I think this they're going to they're going to have the third defensive coordinator I think in three years this upcoming season. You know, last year they gave up 29.8 points per game. They gave up 30.6 the year before. Uh, those are pretty bad offenses. Florida State last year was was struggled on defense. They gave up 36 points per game. Notre Dame played a really bad second half against Florida State and still hung 42 on them. Uh, you know, and, and then you look at you know Wisconsin's got a good defense, maybe not quite as dominant as they were a couple years ago. Cincinnati has a has has a really 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 good defense coming back. So I think that's a team that has a a chance to have a really good defense that it could be hard to score on them. And I think that's where I'm looking at it to say, you know, that's one of those games that Wisconsin Cincinnati stretch is one where you could say, you know, if you score 27 points per game in those two games and go two and oh, you know, you, you did okay against those two pretty good defenses. Maybe you'd, you'd like a little bit more, but you know, that can kind of drag it down. But then you look at Virginia tech, they gave up 32 points per game last year. 
USC's defense was uh, okay last year. They gave up 26 points per game, and they lost. Um, they lost the uh, Hafanga. They lost it. They lost um, the cornerback Elijah Griffin. They've lost a lot of players uh, from that group. So that's not a great defense. North Carolina doesn't have a great defense. They gave up a lot of points. Navy doesn't have a great defense. You know, Virginia has a very well-coached, tough defense, but they gave up 29.6 per points per game last year, too. Uh, Georgia Tech doesn't have a very good defense. I believe they were over 30 points per game last year. Uh, you know, and then you end the season with Stanford. 36.8 is what Georgia Tech gave up, and then you end the season with Stanford. So, to me, you know, Stanford's 31.7 last year. So, when I look at the schedule, I'm like, you know, thir- 38 was kind of my minimum. But then you look at the schedule and say, who plays defense on there? And, and if you can if you can be at 27 or 28 in that two-game stretch against Wisconsin and Cincinnati, and, and then hopefully in the thir- low 30s at least in the USC, uh, the USC North Carolina one-two punch, then there's no reason Notre Dame can't be a 38 to 40 point per game team next year. Uh, but th- that's part of what I'm going to do to evaluate Notre Dame. But the other one is I want to see a jump in efficiency and explosiveness, which is going to reflect in the yards per play. So I think those are the two things. But, man, this is a schedule that's set up perfectly for Notre Dame's offense. And this is everybody's freaking out about the offense, and I get it. But what you you have to take into context who they're facing this year. They're not facing a murderer's row of defensive teams. I mean, I went through it, and if I'm one, two, three, see, four – uh, five, six, at least seven, at least seven teams that Notre Dame plays next year. Off the top of my head, looking at it, uh, gave up twenty nine points or more last year. So that's why I'm also not as concerned about the offense. Is they're they're playing a lot of teams that don't play good defense. So maybe they all take big jumps in, in this year, but I just don't I don't see it. And then Jonathan asks, "What's your early prediction for 2021 points per game for the Irish defense?" It's a little bit of the opposite deal. I think Notre Dame plays some really good offenses this year. I think Purdue's going to have a very good offense. I think that Cincinnati's going to have a really good offense. I think USC's going to have a really good offense. I think North Carolina's going to have a really good offense. Um, you know, I, I think Georgia Tech's going to be a much improved offense this year with Jeff Sims at quarterback and Jameer Gibbs at, at, at running back. They've got a lot of transfers that are now going to be going into year two. So to me, I just want Notre Dame to be 19 or under. If they can be 19 or under, I'm going to feel really good about it. Because against this schedule, you hold teams to under 19 points. You did a heck of a job. And, and that's something you have to think about. Whereas like if you look at some of past years at Notre Dame, like 2019, for example, you know, their points were down, but they didn't play a lot of really good offenses, in my opinion. You know, 2018, they didn't play a lot of really good offenses either. You know, Michigan wasn't a very good offense. Wake wasn't. Wake Forest had a true freshman quarterback. Stanford's offense was was solid that year, but nothing special. Pitt had a bad offense. Navy was down that year. Northwestern had a mediocre offense. Florida State had a bad offense. USC's offense was eh that year. And then they played it. The only great offense they played was Syracuse, and they held them to three points, which is phenomenal. But they just didn't have that weekly challenge, you know, that, that you've had in past years, and that certainly helped. But this year I expect the offensive test to be much stiffer. And that's why I say if you can be under 19, I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be pretty happy and then the lower the further away you get below 19 is going to make me um you know really excited about what this what this group can do so appreciate the chat the super chat from both of you jonathan i appreciate that very much let me try to get back up here to to where we left off but i definitely appreciate everybody okay here we go 
All right, Joseph Juan says, I've heard you talk about how Notre Dame lacks taller receivers, especially with Jordan Johnson leaving. Does that make C.J. Williams and Tobias Merriweather more important? Yeah, I think so. I mean, because if you look at it, in 2022, they'll have Kevin Austin, who's 6'2", and they'll have Deion Colsey, who's 6'4". And that, that's it. That's the only guys over, you know, Jaden Thomas is like 6'1 and a half. Joe Wilkins is like 6'1 and a half. They don't have a lot of great size, and which is kind of funny when you consider what Notre Dame's been the last you know seven, eight years where they've just had all these power forwards on the outside, but they don't have that. And I don't think Notre Dame needs a million big guys. I mean, who was the big guy for Alabama last year? John Mechie at six foot? Uh, so it's not necessarily needed, but for what Notre Dame likes to do, you, you would like to have some of that size. And I think that's why it is important to get one of those two players for sure. And if you get both of them, great, but they have to be complemented with a Xavier Bradshaw type of player. But yeah, I think getting one of those guys is important because, and it's not so much the tallness of it. It's more of how they play. You know, that guy that can be a chain mover, that guy you say, when you get in trouble, you can just throw that back shoulder, that bigger player Bigger players are, are beneficial from the standpoint of, in, in a lot of situations, you don't have to be as precise. And when you run an offense like Alabama's, if you don't have Alabama's receivers, it requires more precision from your quarterback because you're always hitting guys on the move. You're always having to read defenses and throw open and those kind of things. But the way that Notre Dame runs their offense, you're, you're going to have more of that, I think, under Tommy Reese. But there also is an element to where, I just want I want that one on one backside with my six four guy, and, and I know pressure's coming, and I'm just going to bang that back shoulder, and and I think for quarterback that's really really nice to have. Uh, see here, Tagalo Kane says a Florida State guy with some Notre Dame history. I appreciate that. Imagine a healthy Raymond McKnight for the full 2005 season, no doubt about it. Um, and then Stovall, Samarja, and a healthy McKnight with Fasano plus Darius Walker coming out of the backfield. I think Matt Shelton averaged over 20 yards a catch last year. Uh, he is very, very impressive. Sean Rogers says, does Bradshaw have any official visits on the books yet? Not that I'm aware of. I'll look into that, but not that I'm aware of. I know he did. He did an unofficial visit to North Carolina for their spring game, but I don't, I don't know of him having at least publicly known yet. Okay. Notre Dame 2164 says, is Angeli a high floor, low ceiling guy, or does he have a higher ceiling than I am seeing and hearing? I think part of it's depend on who you talk to. I think some people think he has a higher ceiling than I do. I I don't know if he has necessarily – I, I wouldn't say he has a high floor. I think that he's got some tools that I like. He's 6'2", six two, two, six two and a half, 210 pounds. He's got a thick, you know, prototype quarterback body, you know, with the thicker legs, and he's got a little bit to the backside and those kind of things. And so you like that. He's got that sturdy build. He's got you know a nice release. He's he's got some good footwork and presence in the pocket. Things that I like, so I wouldn't say he has a high floor because I I think there's a chance he never starts at Notre Dame. And but I, but I think he he has a little higher ceiling maybe than than some people who are really turned off by Steve Angeli. Think I Steve think Steve Angeli can be a solid quarterback at Notre Dame. I just think Steve Angeli's a guy that if he is your quarterback. You're going to have to really make sure you have other really good players around him. And I don't think he necessarily has the the big arm that some other people think that he does. But because he is a bigger, sturdier guy, there's a chance that, that could jump as he physically matures and he ages and and those types of things. Old Grim asks, can Fisher stay on the left and Spindler move to the right? I think so. I, I do. 
I would I would actually like to see that actually, just because my personal preference is to not have two freshmen side by side. And so yeah, we could we could certainly see that. I think that would fit. Now I don't know if Rocco can play right handed. I would assume he can. You know, I mean, it, I'd be shocked if he couldn't. But it's just it's just more of I haven't I haven't seen it seen it yet. <laughs> All right, we're talking about NCAA games from back in the day. Ethan says he couldn't buy NCAA two thousand six. Desmond Howard was on the cover. I bought it because you know I love that game. But if if I'd have known what Desmond was going to turn into, I would have probably not uh, not done so. Uh, okay, Tagalo Kane says if RPO was a legit thing, Quinn would have been lethal in that era too. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. AJ, in your time covering Notre Dame football and recruiting, what player were you most high on, most shocked that didn't pan out? Deval Kamara. That's who my guy is. I thought Deval Makara Deval Makara was Duval Kamara was going to be a really good player. I did. I thought him and Golden Tate were just going to be a nasty, nasty duo at Notre Dame. He was big. He had great hands. I thought he was going to be really good. I was very surprised that he did not pan out. I mean, he was very mediocre. I mean, he had a really nice freshman year. I think led the team in receiving. But I, I really thought he was going to pan out. I really did. I thought he was going to be a really good player. Uh, Dylan Riggins asks, if Blake starts this year, you think he'd leave in three years? Yeah, I think so. I think if Blake Fisher is good enough to start on this team as a true freshman and he continues to just have natural progression, he's going to be a first-round pick by the time he's a junior. I'll, I'll be shocked if he's if he's, four, if he's here four years, if he's as good as I think he is and as, as other people think he is. Let's see here. John Gallagrass, this is a good one. If Notre Dame was forced to join a conference, which conference, excluding the ACC, would you want them to join? I'm pro-independence and just curious. If they couldn't join the ACC and I had to put Notre Dame in a conference, I'd put them in the Big 12. Because for me, being in a conference is a lot about what areas are going to help you build your recruiting foothold. And that's why part of the reason I'm so anti-Big 10. What is playing in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Illinois do for Notre Dame? Or Iowa? It does nothing for Notre Dame. You know, Notre Dame joining the Big 10 would be great for the Big 10. It does nothing for Notre Dame, in my opinion. Nothing. And, I mean, the Big 12, you get to play in Texas. You'd get to play in Oklahoma. You'd get to play all over the Southwest. And I think that is a very fertile recruiting ground that Notre Dame has done okay in. But if you could start, if you could start having the benefit in the Southwest that you've had in the in the Mid Atlantic since joining the ACC, that's a great way to stock your depth chart. I, I think that would be big for Notre Dame. Plus, the Big Twelve schools recruit California a lot, and I think it would only help Notre Dame's ability to recruit the West Coast. And I know that's probably an unpopular opinion amongst a lot of people, but. I would literally join the SEC before I joined the Big Ten. I hate the Big Ten. I hate everything about the Big Ten. And I think, I think, you know, going back to the reasons that they kept Notre Dame out in the first place. And I'm not even Catholic, so uh, I, I just, I despise everything about the Big Ten. And even though Jim Delaney's gone, I still dislike the Big Ten. I would not want Notre Dame to join the Big Ten. I'd rather Notre Dame kind of be a leader and bring back the Big East and join the Big East. You know, go get Pitt and Syracuse and BC and Miami out of the ACC. You know, try to recruit, try to steal Penn State out of the Big Ten. Like, really throw your weight around and bring the Big East back. I'd rather do that than join the Big Ten. I despise the Big Ten. So that would be my my question, John. I'd be curious to hear who you would think 
what you would like Notre Dame to do if they had to, if they were forced to join a conference and the ACC was, wasn't an option. I'd be curious to hear what you think that they should do. And, and here's the other question. Would you, would you try to do a situation where you, you kept Notre Dame in the ACC for other sports, but then had to join for another, for, for football only? I'd be curious if that would be allowed to happen. If they could kind of fo- start a football conference, maybe be interested to see how that would work. Probably not. Dropping dimes. Is it just me because I'm worried about Jack Cohn because I'm not excited for him this fall as a QB for the offense? I'm I'm sure that you're not the only person that isn't super high on Jack Cohn. I am. I I think Jack Cohn's a very good quarterback. I think his 69.6 completion percentage at Wisconsin and that offense is like completing in the low 70s, 72, 73 at others. When you just compare what he did to what the quarterback before and the quarterbacks before him up back to going all the way to until you, you'd have to get to Russell Wilson before you find a quarterback that came in or close to his completion percentage and yards per attempt. So I just feel like he's a really good quarterback. Uh, I feel like he's a guy that is accurate. He's smart. He's going to get the ball out to his playmakers. He's a tough kid. He's a, he's a better athlete than people think. I'm not saying Jack Cohn's going to go out there and be a first round draft pick, but I don't see a whole lot of physical difference between Jack Cohn and Kyle Trask. The difference is one guy played in an open offense and the other guy played in a closed offense. And I think in a more open offense, I think Jack Cohn is going to be more effective, more successful, and more productive. And, and to Gallo, yeah, that's why I say if Notre Dame, if Notre Dame has to go to a conference, it, I would want it to be the ACC. But that particular question didn't allow me to do that. All right, Notre Dame 2164, what do both you guys think is the real issue BK has with playing freshman receivers? Well, Vince and I are actually on the same page on this. It's not that Brian Kelly is anti-playing freshman receivers. It's that Brian Kelly's anti-adapting his offense to make it easier for freshman receivers to play. That's the problem. It's not like he says, okay, this guy's a freshman. We're never going to play him. It's that, nope, this is our offense, and this is what we're going to do. And that's why... You know, and that's why freshmen struggle to play. I mean, you can listen to Notre Dame receivers when they're interviewed as veteran players, and you and they get asked about what it was like learning as a freshman, and they all have the same, like, oh, geez, it's like, you know, like that kid who was forced into like an advanced calculus class as a freshman because of a clerical mistake in the, you know, in the admissions office. You know, you know that first week you're like, whoa, this isn't going to work. I got to get out of here. That's what it's like, you know, being a freshman wide receiver at Notre Dame, and it's a different deal than other positions, and. That's the issue. It's not that he doesn't like playing freshman. It's just that he's not going to adapt his offense to make it easier for a freshman to play. See, Tommy, you're not, you're not, you're not in the in the in crowd now, buddy. Might be able to skimp a bit on guards and centers just a bit. See, nope, nope, that's it. That's it. See, John Climack, that's my guy right here. That's that's my ride or die here within the Notre Dame family. Nose tackling guard breakdown. Brian, don't threaten me with a good time. See, that's what that's what I'm talking about, Tommy. You're you're being bypassed. It's already enough. You 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 make insults about the great state of Virginia, but now uh, and the talent that comes from that state. But now you're now you're saying you don't want to talk about the big boys. It's discrimination right there, my friend. Uh, obviously, if if people who don't have a sense of humor, that's obviously a joke. All right, Dylan Riggins. When I was watching some highlights of the blue gold game on the blue team, who was the safety with number 23, everything I saw saw on him on a play, he was locking down the defender. That would be Litchfield Ajavon. And uh, Litchfield laid the boom on some guys. 
in that game. Obviously, he was he was physically very impressive. I just I still am not sold on him as a cover guy, Dylan. I'm just not. Brian Denbo. Okay, a- am I the only one to get excited to see Rocco come off a double team and pick up a blocker in the spring practice clips? I love the big uglies. No, I actually when I tweeted that that particular practice clip out, that was the thing I talked about because it looked so much like that hit that that uh, Quentin Nelson had against Georgia a couple years ago when that guy from Georgia was blitzing and Q came off and just laid the guy out. Rocco had one of those. I think it was might have been Jordan Batelho, maybe. Thought he was coming in, thought he had a sack, and Rocco came off and, like, depleted him. It was a big-time hit. He is going to be a very good player at Notre Dame. As long as he stays healthy, he's going to be a very, very good player. James Taylor joining the show. Appreciate you being with us, James. With the dead period ending and camp season firing up one, who do you feel if they visit the campus will either commit or flip? And then two, who do you feel can earn a scholarship if they camp at Notre Dame? I don't expect Notre Dame to have a whole lot of 22 guys on campus trying to earn scholarships. I think the 22 board at this point in time is pretty set. James, I think a lot of the guys that are that are going to have opportunities to get scholarships are 23 guys, and it's a little too early for me at other positions to feel like to know who's gonna, who that guy's going to be. But I think that we're going to see some quarterbacks coming to camp, and we can see some quarterbacks leaving with scholarship offers for sure because I think that's where Notre Dame is going to really – try to sort out its board at quarterback. And if um, if you didn't get a chance to watch it yet, I'd encourage you to watch the quarterback breakdown we did last night. We went over the 12 quarterbacks on the board for Notre Dame. And there's some of those guys we talked about that don't have offers. I think a camp success at camp could help them. And when you look at the other part of your question, you know, guys that if they, when they visit, you know, could, could that be a thing where they, they commit? I don't, I don't know if there's guys that I would say will definitely commit, but here's some guys that I think, visits could be game changers for. I think Dallin Hayden is one. I think Jake Taylor is one. I think Anthony Lucas is one. And I think Jake Pope is potentially one. They all come June 11th to the June 13th. I think that a, a campus visit could also is, is going to be a game is going to be a, a deal, like a, a deal sealer for Billy Shrouth. I think for Carson Hinsman, it could have a big deal. I think for uh, Xavier Nwankpa, it could be impactful if he makes it. And I explained that. I did a hot board today article for the defense on on irishbreakdown.com. So check it out. You can see the link down there where I went through the whole defensive board, who the hot guys are, the guys have growing confidence, more work done, all that broke it all down, which they were they're trending. And I talked about with Xavier Nwankpa that, you know, he goes to Ohio State first and they're going to do everything possible to try to get him to commit and cancel his visit to Notre Dame. But if he doesn't do that and he makes it to Notre Dame on June 18th, 18th to 20th, that could be a, a game changer. I think Sherrod Colville from Virginia, if he makes it in late June, it could be a game changer for him as well. And I feel the same way about, about C.J. Williams when he gets on campus. I think that could be something that seals the deal. So those are the guys that I'm looking out for, James, in regards to the summer visits could be impactful. And I actually think that the June visits this year are going to be more important for Notre Dame than they normally are because of just everything that's going on the last year with guys not being able to come. Jonathan says, this is a good point. Notre Dame is a national power, so they need to play games that get attention nationally. I agree with that. Uh, Jordan Schreiber says, why do you think Chip Long didn't work at Notre Dame? He was a recruiting powerhouse and his offense has scored a lot of points and we were trending towards scoring even more. I think the big thing was is he didn't get – I don't think Ian Book cared much for Chip Long. I think that was a big part of it. I think that that um, 
There were some other things that kind of went on behind the scenes in regards to his relationships with specific assistant coaches that hurt him as well. Because if it came down to him and those coaches, it was it was going to be it was, it was Chip wasn't going to be the winner in that battle. There was a lot of stuff that came out afterwards that bothered me. It was kind of like the character assassination that we saw about Jordan Johnson and Phil Dracovic uh, that came out from sources inside the program. Uh, you know, a lot of that. I buy some of it. I buy like, you know, Chip was a hard coach. He was, he was, you know, some guys didn't like him. That's always going to be true. So was Harry Heastan. But I think there's a lot of other factors into it that, that didn't necessarily have to do with that. And that was just Notre Dame's way of justifying firing the guy that led your offense to its highest scoring output in a decade. But uh, beyond that, I don't really care to, to share too much about that, Jordan, at least not publicly, because there's, there's just a lot more to it. And because it now has been a couple years since it happened, it's just kind of, it, it, it's in the past. Dylan Hoffman asked this question. Group A, Xavier Nwankpa, KJ Winston, Ben Morrison, and Devin Moore. Group B, Sherrod Koval, Jake Pope, Jared Brown, and Jaden Bellamy. Which group would you rather add to the secondary with Mickey? But clearly the group A. Xavier Nwankpa is the best safety on the board. I love Benjamin Morrison and Devin Moore. I, I would take that duo over Jair Brown and Jaden Bellamy every single day of the week. I love Jake Pope and I love Sherrod Koval. I'd be happy with either one of those two guys. And I like both of them more than I like KJ Winston just at this time. Now, part of that is because we haven't seen KJ Winston play junior film. I mean, he, he didn't play his junior season because of, because of COVID the other two guys did. So that's kind of my asterisk on that. But you know, Xavier, if you get, if you give me Xavier and Wonka and, and Morrison and Moore, and then also Winston, that is to go with Jade Mickey. That's one heck of a secondary class. The Group B class would also be very good, but to me, it wouldn't be as good at corner, and neither one of those safeties are as good as Xavier Nwankpa. I mean, Xavier Nwankpa in, alone in that group makes it worth it because I believe that safety is an even bigger need for an impact player than corner is. Matty K, 55, what are some potential breakout guys at linebacker that nobody is talking about in your opinion? Well... I don't, I don't know who people are talking about or not. I, I, I say based on like who I get asked questions about, people don't ask a lot about Maris Luafal, and I think Maris could have a big year. And I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but I could see a scenario in, in 2022 where J.D. Bertrand is very hard to, to keep off the field. He flashed a lot during the highlight clips. I thought he looked really good in the blue-gold game. And he's he's kind of a – he's a guy that I, that I keep my eye on – in regards to being a breakout and you know, I'd say Shane Simon, but I think people, I talk, we talk about him a lot and and we get asked about him a lot. So I don't know if he'd be, if he'd fall into that category of, of nobody talks about. And then of course, Notre Dame didn't recruit. There's two recruiting classes on campus right now that, that Notre Dame, where Notre Dame didn't sign a linebacker. Now that's going to change once Prince Collie shows up in the fall. But you know, I mean, that, that kind of makes it a little bit, a little bit more difficult as well. Jordan Schreiber, how did you develop a good relationship with Chip Long? Can you do the same with Tommy Reese? He seems direct and thoughtful like you. Uh, the, the, I mean, I my relationship with Chip Long essentially was just he liked talking football and he respected the fact that I was a former coach. And he was someone who was not – the big thing about Chip Long, and I'll say this about Mike Elko as well, and I had a, a good relationship with Mike Elko, they were both guys that weren't sensitive to criticism. They understood I had a job to do. They didn't take it personal when I was critical of them. And, and I'll tell you a story now uh, that he's gone, but there was a time where I wrote something about how 
I think I might've told this story before, but I wrote something about how, you know, I'd said that I thought Chip Long wasn't using Ian Book as a runner enough. And he called me and he was like, you know, can you believe some idiot wrote this about me? And then he starts reading me what was written and it was by me, you know, but he had a good, he was good natured about it. There was a time I wrote something about, uh, 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 something that happened on defense and I wrote, you know, sort of how the mistake was, you know, who I thought made the mistake and coach Elko called me and he explained to me what the coverage actually was and why it was actually somebody different that should have been there. And it wasn't a criticism. It was just, you know, understand that, Hey, I have a job to do, but if I can help you do your job better too, I'll do that. And there were times that, you know, I wrote stuff critical of him that he didn't agree with and we'd talk about it and he, but he understood that there's a job to do. There are some coaches in Notre Dame that if you criticize them, they take it real personal. And I mean, it is what it is. Tommy Reese, I don't, I don't, I've never, I mean, I've, I've never really, I think part of it too is, you know, with, with Chip Long, when he was coordinator, we'd have events at campus where we could kind of talk to the coaches and they can meet us face to face. We're not just names behind articles. We could meet them face to face. Well, since Tommy Reese has been the offensive coordinator, we have not had one single chance to interview them one-on-one. So there's been no opportunity to build that relationship. Um, I agree with you. I think Tommy Reese is very direct and, and thoughtful. I think that, you know, I've enjoyed his press conferences because he gives long answers. He's long-winded like I am. Uh, he likes to dive into the weeds of football like I do. Um, and he's always been very respectful of me when I have asked him questions, which if he was a sensitive guy, he could easily not like me since I was about the only person that I'm aware of that was hammering the decision to to hire him as an OC. So I have a lot of respect for Tommy Reese. And I mean, I'm sure if he and I got a chance to meet someday that we'd probably get along well. But, you know, since I don't cover recruiting anymore personally, there's less of a need to have that relationship as much with all the coaches. Um, you know, and so, I mean, that's part of that's part of it as well. Uh, it says you can stream past games on Twitch with less issues. I don't really know anything about Twitch or or what that is. Um, so I, I'm not really familiar with Twitch or if it can be monetized or whatever the case may be. So if somebody wants to shoot me an email explaining to me something about Twitch and you know, is it something that I can do to, to be monetized or whatever else, let me know. Because, I mean, I'm, there's a way to stream a game and talk a game. I think that would be that would be very interesting. Jordan Schreiber asked two questions about Dante Moore. Is Dante Moore given any time parameters on when he expects to commit? And is Dante Moore locked into a visit to Notre Dame this summer? Not that I'm aware of, but I honestly haven't asked him about that yet. As far as uh, the commit part, Jordan, he doesn't, when we interviewed him at the Under Armour camp, he seemed like he was in no rush to, to end his recruitment. It seemed that he was kind of very much in the infancy stages of his recruiting process that's being run through his father and his head coach. I would imagine he's going to take a lot of visits before he decides and, and just get out in the country. And and I would imagine in June, he'll be a lot of places. Will he be at Notre Dame again? I, I don't know the answer to that. We'll, we'll look into it. We'll try to get an answer for you. Dylan Hoffman asks, haven't looked into 2023 class a whole lot, but did peek into Drake Bowen a bit. Kid is doing front squats in his garage before school in the morning. Hope he becomes an ND man. And Drake Bowen, obviously, is from um, – uh, was it? how do you say that? Is it Andrian? Is that how you say that? Andrian? I'm not sure, but it's in Maryville. He's an Indiana kid, really athletic kid, very good baseball player. He, he is, to me, a must-get for Notre Dame in the 2023 linebacker class. He and Trey Edwards, and there's a couple other kids that they've offered recently, is why I don't think Notre Dame needs to take a fifth linebacker in that class because I would rather focus the attention on 
next year's next year's class. Dylan Riggins, have you heard anything on how the offensive line group is reacting to the possibility of two freshmen starting any unrest? I haven't heard anything about unrest. Um, those most of those kids are very quiet kids. I think that you know we won't hear anything about that until maybe the summer when school's officially out is when we might hear something if somebody's unrest. And we won't hear that there's unrest. We'll just see a kid transfer. And I think that's obviously part of the reason Dylan Gibbons transferred is because he knew he wasn't going to start. But I don't know if we'll see unrest. Uh, I think I think part of it, too, is is the players know with Blake Fisher he's really good. And, and I think they know that Rocco's really good. I think that mm, the unrest may come in the fall if they don't feel like they're given the opportunity to unseat him. I think right now some of these kids realize that they got outplayed and others realize like, Hey, I wasn't given a chance to play one position, but I will in the fall. And so that's when the competition will be on. Okay. The HH show. Here we go. This is a good question. In a condensed version, what needs to happen for Notre Dame to win a national championship in the next two years? Real simple. Jeff Quinn needs to get the offensive line playing at a high level again. Notre Dame needs to get much better play from its quarterback position. And the offense has to evolve into the, the current century. It needs to become, it needs to be better tempo. It needs to be more about, you know, the, being efficient and explosive. The things we've talked about in the past, it needs to be about incorporate RPOs, be more about spacing, be more about matchups. Simplify what you do from a volume standpoint. Be more complex with what you do from a personnel standpoint, and and, and be a more efficient and an explosive pass attack. And that's what they need to do. And on defense, just keep doing what you're doing right now. I mean, that to me is condensed as possible. Are the things that need to happen for Notre Dame to 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 win a championship? I think they're a lot closer than people think. And I think the changes on offense alone could make that could make them competitive against those best teams. And then if the quarterback position then improves and the offensive line gets going, you know, I mean, the guys that are gone, you got to get back on track. Then I think Notre Dame is, is a whole lot closer than people think. Jordan Schreiber says, do you think Notre Dame is any, any gap close um, is in on any gap closer receivers in 23? Does Carnell, Carnell Tate qualify as an elite gap closer if Notre Dame can close on him? From what I've seen of Cardinal so far, yes. Now, again, we've only seen Cardinal as a freshman. He was one of the better freshman receivers I've seen in a long time, especially in the Midwest. He's an IMG now. I would say as of right now, I would expect him to be uh, that kind of player. There's a couple other guys that they're on at 23. There's a kid from Texas named Jalen Hale that is an absolute beast as a 2023 wide receiver. He is really, really good. Here's some other receivers that I've seen that I think could be that kind of guy. Brandon Ennis could be that kind of guy. Um, I, I, he is certainly there. I think Cardinal Tate is is certainly there. And there is a player that I do not have on my offer list, and I got to have to find it that they offered recently that from Florida that I think is a, is a is a really good player. I'm at the we call you. I think his name is. I'm going to have to find his name because Eric Rudder did an article recently on him, and he is a really, really good football player. I'll try to find that. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his his name. His last name starts with a C, but he needs to be on that list too. He's a very good player. So those are some of the guys that I look at and say of what I've seen. Now, like I have not seen Hakeem Williams yet. I haven't watched Noah Rogers yet, and somebody was asking about him yesterday. He's a 23 kid. Uh, 
I have not watched Jalen Brown yet from Florida. So there's some kids on that the class that I have yet to really evaluate. But there are some guys, Jalen Hale, Cardinal, that I really like. I don't know why it does that. All right, let's get back up here to some more questions. I'm going to try to work through some of these pretty pretty quickly because we have a lot of questions here. Love all the questions. Well, let's try to work through these. Kenny Moore says, outside of um, outside of Drake Bowen, what other in-state players the next cycle should should we be paying attention to? You know, I again, I'm not super locked in on 2023 recruiting just yet, but I don't know if there's another in-state kid that has an offer yet. I don't believe there is. I heard that there's an offensive lineman from in-state that, that Notre Dame is looking at, but I haven't seen him yet. I'm going to have to do some digging on this one, Kenny. Maybe next time we do a recruiting show, ask me that. And I'm going to I'm gonna look into that one. So I'm not quite sure um, if there's any other kids that have offers yet at this point in time. Domer TX22, thoughts on Nicholas Anderson from Katie Texas. I'm an alum of his high school, and I'm very impressed with him so far. I think he's a good football player. I think he's a talented kid. I just don't think he should be your second tight end in his class or receiver in his class. I think that when – when um, when uh, when you look at taking a Morin Walker and then you add Nicholas Anderson, to me, Nicholas Anderson should have been the guy you took as that number three receiver. And if you're able to take four receivers in this class, then I can live with it because you can still go get Williams or, 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 or Merriweather or, and then Bradshaw, hopefully. But I just feel like Nicholas Anderson is not a gap closer receiver. He's kind of what you already have. And you can't, as a coaching staff, complain about not having good enough playmakers at receiver and then keep recruiting a bunch of guys who aren't going to close the gap on those programs. And I don't think Nicholas Anderson closes the gap on those players. I would have loved to have had him as the number three receiver in this class over Amorian Walker, but you can't take him and Walker, in my opinion. If you do that, you're basically just saying we're just not going to we're not going to recruit receiver like we used to. We can't for whatever reason we can't recruit receiver like we used to. And then you need to figure out why that is and then fix it. Stephen B asks if the 2020 season wasn't affected by COVID, would Pine be the starter and Cone be somewhere else? I don't. I guess I don't understand what you mean by that, Stephen. Um, I mean. Cone didn't play this year. Cone not playing this year didn't have anything to do with COVID. It was because he hurt, he broke his foot or hurt his foot. So I don't think it had anything to do with COVID. At least not, at least not that I'm aware of. I I, I honestly can't say. I think Jack Cone always had a connection to Notre Dame. Jack Cone was committed to Notre Dame. Uh, you know, well, yeah. So Jack Cone was committed to Notre Dame to play lacrosse. Let me finish that thought first. But Jack Cone doesn't have extra eligibility because of COVID. Jack Cone has extra eligibility because he got hurt this year and took a red shirt. And that's why he's able to play this extra season, if that's what you're referring to. But I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. So if you, if you don't mind explaining, elaborating, I would love to be able to address it. But um, and yeah, I'm, I'm just curious to kind of see where you, where you are with that one. Michael Scheller says, listening to you both discuss 707 reminded me of Blake Barnett and all the hype that surrounded him. Basically showbutting at these events, and he dodged a bullet. I would agree with that. Jordan Schreiber, hypothetically, Kevin Austin stays healthy, goes off, gets drafted. Could you see Colsey taking over that spot next year or way too early in his development? Well, I mean, it's way too early in his development to definitively say that. But look, you know, Deion Colsey was a guy that when Notre Dame signed him, to me, was a guy that I had as a five-star upside guy. You know, I, I thought that Deion would need 
a little bit of groom grooming. Uh, you know, he's a guy that I thought was was kind of raw as a route runner. So I graded him as a four star player in the top one hundred and fifty range. That's pretty good. But he was also a guy that I thought needed work, which is why his upside grade was that of a five. Dion is also young for his age. I believe Dion is, I could be wrong on this, but I believe if I remember correctly talking to his mother, Dion is about, is, is almost a year younger than most people in his grade. And, and that's another reason why I gave him a five-star upside is because he's just now starting to kind of hit that, that development uh, about about where guys really take off uh, physically as seniors. Dion's now hitting that now, and that could be why we saw his track times take such a jump. And, and he's always been a great leaper, but now that's speed. But Dion's a five-star upside guy with really good size. He also is a guy that I thought had a really natural feel for how to run routes. I think that he needed some time to uh, grow, but would I be shocked if Dion's starting at W in 2022? Not at all. Uh, even if Kevin Austin's comes back in 2022, Dion's going to play, in my opinion. He is. He has that kind of upside and talent. He just needed time. He wasn't, based on what we saw of him as a senior in high school, he didn't show that step on foot on campus day one and dominate. Now, because he's younger, could he hit a, a growth spurt that maybe – a lot of guys hit from their junior to senior year. Yeah. And could that impact things? Yeah. And I'll tell you this too. We talked about this recently on a show, Jordan, which is if Kevin Austin gets hurt again, they need to force the issue with Dion now. And that's why I think Dell Alexander, to me, if I'm Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese, I'm sitting down with them and we're going over some, some things that need to be addressed. But I'm going to say to him, listen, you got three guys that are young, that if you don't coach them up and get them ready to play, we're going to have a problem. And that is Xavier Watts, Lorenzo Styles, and Deion Colsey. The future of the receiving core with those three guys has a chance to be really, really dynamic. The question to your question, Jordan, is how quickly can they get ready? And a big part of that, to, to wrap it all up, this, this kind of circling it around, all that that I said before was about Deion's talent. The question now is, can Coach Alexander develop him faster than he developed Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool, where they didn't really emerge until the third and fourth seasons, fourth for for Claypool, and then third, or excuse me, fourth for Boykin, third for Claypool, when they started to really take that big jump. That can't be, you can't take that long with these three kids. You just can't. You got to do a better job, and it's partly on Brian Kelly allowing the offense to evolve, which I think he's doing, and then the other part on that is Coach Alexander stepping up and, and getting the job done that I believe he's capable of doing. Sean Rogers says, who do you think will lead Notre Dame this year in TDs, catches, tackles, and sacks? Curious on your take. TDs, I'm going with Kyron Williams. Catches, I'm going to go with Michael Mayer. Tackles, I'm going to go with – hmm, that's a good one because I think we could see a lot of line, guys playing. I'm going to go with Kyle Hamilton and tackles. Sacks, I'm going to go with – I'm going to go with Isaiah Foskey. That's who I'm going to go with. But I could see, you know, I could see Jason Adamiola having a big year of sacks. I could see, you know, a guy like, you know, maybe Jordan Patelho because he's going to be in such a situational third down role could maybe pile up some sacks and fewer snaps. So, but but right now I'm going to go with Isaiah Foskey on that. That's a good question. Sean Rogers, how conf confident are you 
guys that we'll see a healthy Kevin Austin in the fall. We had uh, what have you heard on his process and recovery? I haven't heard a lot other than he's just he's coming along is all we keep hearing. We're not going to really know until we get closer to the fall. Vince and I have talked about this in the in the past, Sean. I, I don't think that we can be confident in seeing a healthy Kevin Austin until we actually see it because it's the, the fear is the the fact that he injured the foot twice. That's the fear. And that's because he's a receiver. There's some concern about how is he going to have that burst back? Is he going to have that explosiveness back from before the leaping ability back as he had before? Those are concerns for us. And so honestly, for me, I'm not confident at all. I'm going to need to see him do it, and I hope he does it because if Kevin Austin comes back healthy and focused and motivated, that question about who leads the team in receptions could catches would change. Would change if Kevin if I thought Kevin Austin was healthy, hundred percent healthy and motivated, he'd be my pick to lead the team in catches. But I just can't do it right now because he's got six square catches and he's coming off a pretty significant injury that he hurt twice. We were talking earlier about favorite players growing up. Kyle Dolan was the bus. Uh, Adam Kipker agreed with Vince, and uh, he talked about Rick Meyer. And Vince and Vince is is, is uh, agreement here. I think Omar and I are probably close to the same age. Bettis and Rocket were larger than life, no question. Jordan Schreiber, my favorite player as a kid was Reggie Brooks. I love seeing Brooks and Jerome Bettis make magic every Saturday from the backfield. So yeah, a lot of lot uh, Rocket, Tim Brown, Zibby. So a lot of, lot of love for those guys. A lot of love for those guys. Dylan Gibbons says, or asks, how much of an impact do you think Mo Linguist leaving Michigan hurts their 2022 class? I think the new DC is from Kentucky. So I don't think it's going to hurt them because of who they hired. Steve Klinkscale is the guy they hired. And I was actually asked about this last night on the radio. And the, the reason I don't think it hurts them is because you know, I, I bang on Jim Harbaugh a lot, deservedly so, because I, I just I, I think I don't think he's right anymore. But they they replaced uh, Klinks or linguist fast, and they and they hired Klinkscale. And the other part about it too is he's known as a good recruiter. He's a guy that was recruited the areas that Michigan needs to get into. So I think the fact that they made the the hire so quickly to replace linguist is going to eliminate any chance that teams have to kind of get in there and 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 sow some doubt in the minds of the kids that are already committed or the kids that are uncommitted. It it, it happened really fast and. If you're Michigan, you have to be happy about that. You lost a guy. It's a big loss. Guy was known as a good recruiter. He wasn't here very long. You replaced him with a guy that's probably talked to all the kids that you're recruiting that has a really good reputation, and, and you made the hire so fast that it's going to look like, hey, we knew this was coming, and it's a great opportunity for Coach Linguist, and you know we're, we're prepared to move on, and we're going to be just fine. D-Rock asks, is there a cap on the number of athletes allowed as walk-ons to the Notre Dame program? The only kind of caps that I'm aware of are caps that involve space. I mean, you only have so many lockers. You only have so much room. You only have so many roster spots that where you can actively feel like everyone's getting an opportunity to be a part of the team. Uh, so, I mean, you don't really want to go much beyond 110 to 115 to 120 players. Uh, and and that, that is probably high. I mean, Notre Dame usually is about 100 to 110 players, including walk-ons is usually where is that really nice – Nice, healthy number for your program. Uh, Jordan says, if Sebo gets unofficially suspended for the year, do you think Notre Dame plays Diggs and Ostame, or they pick the best and lean on one for the third back because Notre Dame mostly only used three the last year, right? So I don't see, and this is just 100% pure speculation. 
I don't think Sebo would get suspended for the year because he hasn't had an offense like this before. And it w- and I don't believe that it was drug related. I I'm gonna assume that it was alcohol related, but it was not drug related, I don't believe. But um and it wasn't drug test related, which is a different thing. I think it'll be more like the Dexter Williams situation where if he does get suspended, it would be for like an unofficial suspension would be more for like four games would be my guess. Again, that's hundred percent pure speculation. So don't take that as gospel or anything like that. And I, I do think they'd play both backs. I think they played mostly last year, but we've seen other years they've played multiple backs. They've played, you know, four or five backs at Notre Dame. Obviously in 2017, we saw four different backs get carries throughout the year. 2019, we saw four guys. Get, actually, we saw five guys get carries that year. Or no, four guys get carries that year, partially because of injury. You know, 2018, we saw you know four guys get carries. You had four running backs in 2018 that had at least 20 carries. So I, I think they would play four at points in time. Now, I think one, however, would probably emerge as the pure three. You know, this guy's ahead of that guy. But I still think all four of them would get opportunities next year. John A1, from what you've seen so far, is Blake Fisher better at left tackle than you thought Jarrett Patterson would be at the position? No, not yet. Uh, I mean, we haven't seen a ton of Blake. We just saw the one blue-gold game, but I still would have liked to have seen Blake Fisher be the right tackle and Jarrett Patterson be the left tackle. But I also think this is partly a move for the future as much as it it is a a move for the present. Sean McArdle asks, new to the channel in the past couple weeks, all in love it. Uh, appreciate you being all in and loving it. Can you give quick insight on your Tyler Buckner high school grade upside? Yeah, I can actually. And I'm going to pull it up here because I think the best way to do it is just to kind of dive into it. So if you go to irishbreakdown.com, I'm going to actually, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do this so people can kind of see how this works. I'm going to share the Irish breakdown page with you and we're going to walk through this. So I'm going to show you how this works. So this is basically what I want people to see of where you can find all of our recruiting stuff, Sean. So here's the Irish breakdown front page. If you go up here to fan nation, you see these three bars. This is the main page. You can also, or on this is my internet, but you can also see this on your phone and be in the top left, click on Notre Dame recruiting. And down here, I have all the commits and 2022 class. And then if a guy has underlined, it means there's a link attached. So I've done a bio of them. And then you get down to the 2021 signees. Tyler Buckner has a bio. And so here's my breakdown of him. So as you can see, I had him as a four and a half star player, as a four, uh, as a four, uh, top, that's a top 50 player. He was originally a five star player for me, but him not playing as a senior in his injury history drag that the intangibles grade down a bit just because he lacked the experience you can see his overall ranking here from the other places but you know I think Tyler Buckner was an extremely talented kid I've said before and you can see it written right there that the three highest ranked quarterbacks that I graded on the Brian Kelly era were Tyler Phil Dracovic and Everett Golson I think Tyler is a dynamic passer potential passer he's a dynamic runner He's a guy that that has a feel for the game. He's an instinctive kid. He's very athletic. My only concern with Tyler, however, was his lack of experience and the fact that last offseason, he kind of messed with his throwing motion a little bit. And, uh, you know, that was something that concerned me a little bit is how he would adjust. He seems to get that, have gotten that back on track a little bit. Uh, 
but you know, he's, he still has to, now it's about getting the experience down and, and continuing to get more comfortable with that throwing motion. So I viewed Tyler Buckner as a, as a top 50 caliber player. I viewed him as my number two ranked recruit in the entire class behind Blake Fisher and a guy that has a chance to be a really dynamic player. That's what I thought of Tyler Buckner coming in. Now, he had a little bit more of a bust potential than some other top 50 quarterbacks because of the lack of experience and because of the knee injury. But if, if he if he comes, if he's within 90% of his upside, he's going to be an outstanding quarterback. If he fully reaches his upside, I believe he has first-round NFL draft pick talent. Now, I'm not saying he's going to get there, but that's that's his true upside. Thomas Walsh, we're talking about favorite players, loved Michael Stonebreaker off that 88 team. Small, tough as nails, and what a great name for a linebacker. And very athletic, too. Very underrated athlete. Jordan asks, would you rather Notre Dame drop a tier and get another receiver if they miss on C.J. Williams, Merriweather or Bradshaw, or add another elite linebacker or even a defensive lineman? I would not want to see Notre Dame reach for another tier receiver. Like, I would not want to see... Like, if you completely strike out on all three of those guys and you want to take Nicholas Anderson as your number two, I'm fine with that, right? But that's only if you miss. What I would not do is take a third receiver that that is more on the Amorian Walker, Nicholas Anderson level. I would not do that. I would just say, look, take your losses. You didn't do a good job recruiting receiver. You did a great job. You got two tight ends. You got a great, you got, you hopefully get two backs. You just you just take your loss and you focus on overcoming that loss in 2023. And if you want to use that extra scholarship, you know, like you said, I'd, I'd, I'd take another defensive lineman or I would use it on an extra DB. I, I still would not take a fifth defensive, uh, a fifth linebacker simply because, number one, it's going to be hard to keep all five of them happy. I think four of them you can definitely keep happy because of how versatile they all are. There's situations where you can play all four of them together. You're not going to be able to keep all five of them happy. You then create an imbalance on your roster to where now you've taken away from numbers in future years. And then if one of those kids eventually leaves, now you, you're in a situation where you now have to overcome a, a loss of a personnel loss. I'd take four and then focus on getting two to three linebackers next year. And then you're focusing on elite players next year. I'd much rather see that. So I'd rather take like a, a, a you know three corners and a second safety or a, you know, a, make room for Cyrus Moss and a ne- or an extra defensive tackle or something like that as opposed to, to taking our leap or just save it for next year. I mean, that's, that's okay with me too, is just save it for next year. You don't have to use it somewhere else if you don't find the right kind of guy. John A1, it's a good question. Of the current cornerbacks on the roster, who has the highest ceiling? For me, it's Cam Harton and Ryan Barnes for me. Those two guys to me have the highest ceilings. I think Clarence Lewis has the highest floor, but I think those two guys for me have the higher, higher ceiling. Matty K, 55, do you think Malik Zaire would have made a difference in 2015 in the two losses? Yes. I, I've said this, and again, I have, this is all speculation. I can't prove it. If, if Malik Zaire plays against Clemson, I think Notre Dame beats Clemson because Notre Dame could not run the ball in Clemson. And part of that was because Deshaun wasn't the same kind of dynamic runner that Malik was, and he definitely wasn't that early in his career. I think Deshaun also had some really big young guy misses in that game that I don't think there was one particular play where he threw the ball, I believe, to Corey Robinson in the end zone, I believe. And he's got Alizé Jones just streaking up the seam wide open for what I think would have been a touchdown. I don't know if Malik misses that read. I think Malik would have hit that. And I think Malik would have made enough plays with his legs to win that game. 
So, yeah, I think so. I think the only team that they still would have lost to with Malik of the teams actually played was Ohio State. I still don't think they'll beat Ohio State. So, and I, and I think, Ethan, I, I, I'm assuming he was referring to the regular season losses, but I added the Ohio State one. So I, I think they'd have beat Stanford and I think they would have beat, uh, I think they would have beat um, Clemson. That was not a great schedule that year. I mean, you had some really high top of the level teams Clemson and Stanford, which you lost to. But my point is, I don't see another team that they would have lost to if they'd have won those two games. I think they'd have run the table that year. That was, to me, Notre Dame's best team. All right, let's see if we got any more questions. This is so, so, uh, to Gallo Kane, I hope you're saying your name right. He, he's getting asked, he's saying all these great things about Notre Dame and Rocket and all this kind of stuff, and which I really like and appreciate. And so, somebody asked him jokingly, Are you sure you're a Florida State fan? And I'm a fan of college football in general. I follow everyone well. Used to lately, used to lately been boring. Plus FSU sucking. I completely get that. Notre Dame fans can relate to periods where your program sucked and you, and it, it was it was hard to watch. But no, I appreciate that. I'm I, I'm a big I'm a Notre Dame fan. I've never hit that, but I also love college football, and I like talking about a whole lot of things. So, um, yeah, I, I'm with you on that one, Jack. Mc- Killing, I'm going to say. I hope I got that right, Jack. I apologize if I get it wrong. If there is one five-star recruit that could change Notre Dame, who would you want them to get? To me, and I've sort of been asked this before, and and I I think I'm going to look it up now. I think he's a five-star by rivals. I don't believe he is a five-star on the composite list. But no, he's not a five-star by – I'm sorry, 247. I think he's a – I still don't see how in the world rivals does not have Anthony Lucas in the top 250, but I believe ES. Yes. Yeah. So right. Two, four, seven ranks. Anthony Lucas is the number 27 player in the country. He's not a five-star. So I technically he's not a five-star, but to me, he'd, he'd be my answer to your question, even though I'm cheating. Cause he's not a five-star, but I think Anthony Lucas would be the guy that could change Notre Dame. I think he is the, the, the epitome of the gap closer in this class for me. And, you know, I could be wrong on that, but to me, he is that guy. You know, Kamari Rogers would have been an answer, potential answer to a gun. He's also not a five-star. But honestly, Jack, I don't obsess over the five-star thing. I mean, so if Anthony Lucas goes up two spots in the ratings, does he automatically become a five-star? Does that change his evaluation at all? I don't think so. But those are the guys that I look at and I say, that's where I would like to see um, Notre Dame get him. I think he could he could be a game-changer for Notre Dame. D Rock asks, "Do you th- do you know where Notre Dame ranked nationally last year in yards after catch, both offensively and defensively?" I do not know where they ranked. I can look into that. Uh, I think Pro Football Focus might have something like that, but I, I don't know where they ranked in that regards. Yards after the catch, yeah, I'm not sure. They they weren't great at it last year. They were better at it the year before with Braden Lindsey and Chase Claypool because Chase Claypool had a lot of yards after contact. And Javon McKinley did too. Remember, he had that play against New Mexico that that racked up a bunch too. Brandon, sorry to hear this, man. Been the worst day of work in a long time. I appreciate the show. It definitely helps me get through days like this. I'm sorry to hear that, buddy, but I am glad that we could certainly help. Adam Kipker, with the way things are going, do you see Notre Dame winning a national championship within four years? Do I see it? I mean, I'm not going to predict it because it's just some some things have to happen. Do I think that that Notre Dame is trending in that direction? Yeah, I think so. There's some things that have to change, which we were asked earlier, but yes, I, I think so. I'm glad to hear there's some fellow hate for the uh, the Big Ten here. 
Brandon Plenser says, uh, Plensner says, do you know if LSU has interest in Ricky Collins? I can see Notre Dame being the leader if they offer unless LSU swoops in. Uh, that I don't know. I'm not familiar with his recruitment beyond Notre Dame. I know that LSU has not offered, and and I, I would, I'd would i be willing to guess that um, that has to do with them wanting to get Arch Manning. But as of right now, they have not offered. But, yeah, I would imagine that that could potentially be a deal cha- a deal breaker if he got offered soon. I think, that, however, if Notre Dame were to – let's just say Notre Dame offers Ricky Collins and he visits this summer and they love him and they offer him and he commits. I could see a scenario in which he doesn't flip to LSU if LSU offers. I, I, I could I could see that. And that's why I think if they're going to get him, they're going to have to evaluate him relatively quickly and definitely beat LSU to the punch. If, they're, if they offer him after LSU – I don't see that happening. Assuming he likes LSU, like you'd expect the kid from Baton Rouge to like LSU. KMA Preston, outside of Bradshaw, what other slot type receivers is Notre Dame looking at has a chance with? In 2022, there there aren't any. Right now, there, there, there aren't any on the board. There's some guys in 23, but right now, there's, there's nobody on the board. KMA Preston also asked, do you like Notre Dame's chances with safety Sherrod Koval? It, it, let's see what he how he gets on campus. It, look, I recruited at a high school. I actually signed a couple kids from that high school back in the day when I coached in that area. I'm from that area. I'm very familiar with Oscar Smith and the Chesapeake area. That is a tough place for Notre Dame to recruit. It's just, it takes a different kind of kid to 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 want to go to Notre Dame and be successful. I've heard Sherrod is that kind of kid, but it's still going to be tough. They have to be able to convince him to visit on campus. I believe 247 Sports has reported that he – somebody told me that 247 Sports has reported he's going to visit. Uh, we also have him down as coming on a visit, so I expect him to visit, but they have to they have to get him there. They're going to have to show him a lot of love. Do I like Notre Dame's chances? I wouldn't say I like their chances right now. I, I would say I think they're in the game, and that's as good as I feel right now. I won't have a better feeling until he gets on campus. I mean, that's going to be – because. Tidewater, Hampton Roads, that area is a completely different world than Notre Dame. And some kids dig it and some kids don't. And I don't, I won't know how Sherrod is. And there's no way to know. I won't know how Sherrod is until he gets on campus. So that that's that's where I'm at on that one. All right. Dylan D. With the quarterback situation being up in the air, who do you think gets the call to be quarterback one? Jack Cohn for me. Also, with whoever takes over, do you foresee them using a lot of clock like they did in the college football playoff? That felt very stagnant. I don't. I don't think we're going to see that at all. I think we're going to see Jack Cohn as a quarterback. I think we're going to see a much more aggressive defense from Notre Dame this year. Jack also asks, what do you think of the chances of of landing the safety from Iowa? So I'm going to put the article that I wrote today in the chat below. So if you have questions about where I think Notre Dame is with a guy with a kid, I would encourage you all to read this article. I go through every kid that's on the board for Notre Dame at this point in time. Um, I think that Notre Dame has is, is got a puncher's chance with Xavier, but to me, Ohio State's the clear leader. They get him first. He will visit them right now the weekend of June 4th. I'm concerned that Ohio State is going to do everything possible to try to convince him to commit that weekend. And when it's his leader, that makes me nervous he will do that. If he comes out of that weekend uncommitted and still determined to visit Notre Dame, then I'll feel better about it. But right now, I don't I don't have much hope that Xavier Nawak is going to is going to end up at Notre Dame. If he visits the weekend of the 18th, then I may change my mind. But right now, I'm just not I'm not there. Preston says safe to say Rocco would also leave in three years if he starts this season. 
look, if you're a three-year starter at a place like Notre Dame, odds are by that point in time you're going to be a high draft pick if you're if you're as good as advertised. If it, and Rocco is as good as advertised. Yeah, I mean, I I would say I'd be a little surprised if he doesn't. Uh, Michael Scheller says, I remember Kevin Stefferson playing as a freshman. At least I think he did. Yes, he did. And that's the go-to that everybody that defends Brian. And I'm not saying you're doing this, Michael, but ever so you keep saying they don't like playing freshman. Well, Kevin Stefferson played a, the anomaly does not define the rule. Number two, that was a four and eight football team in which your only senior Tory Hunter got knocked out of the first game and didn't play the next two games. That's when Kevin Stefferson stepped into the equation and other than Corey Holmes, who wasn't any good, the next group of receivers were Equinemi St. Brown, sophomore. It was Chase Claypool, freshman. Miles Boykin, sophomore. C.J. Sanders, freshman. I mean, your whole receiving core, other than Torrey Hunter, who got knocked out, was freshman and sophomores. So, of course, you're going to play in that situation because they didn't have anybody else to go to. We saw T.J. Jones play as a freshman. We've seen receivers play as freshmen. It's just rare. And we've seen a lot of guys that are very talented either not play or not play much as a freshman. So, yes, Kevin Stefferson did, but he is the anomaly. He's not the rule. Just like Michael Mayer is the anomaly, not the rule. P-Dub, I will not be doing a long snapper breakdown. Will not. Not going to happen. All right. Nor will we be doing a holder's breakdown. Okay. Uh, Jack, this is in Dylan Hoffman. We're talking about Xavier Nwakpa. So are we number two on his list? I think if he comes to campus for a visit, we could change his mind. I agree with you that I think Notre Dame could get him. I don't know if I'd say they're second. I think they're jockeying for second. But I would say if they can get him on campus, they'll have a shot. I mean, that's the key. But I just I don't know if that's going to happen. Lauren Hamilton, do you think we will eventually get a non-NCAA Super League? And do you think it would be as unpopular a decision as it is in Euro soccer? I don't know if it would be unpopular because I just don't know about what the rest of the country thinks. I think a Super League would be a horrible idea if they do it the way that they're talking about doing it, which is basically taking the Power Five teams and making like four conferences. I think that would just be absolutely stupid. If we get a non-NCA thing where they take all the Power Five teams and maybe there's a, some select group of five teams or maybe they kick some Power Five teams out, you know, but you know, let's say we get we get that, and then they want to realign conferences and just have you know eight conferences of sixty some teams and go about it that way. I I, I could live with that because I mean, there is a clear difference between Power Five and Group of Five. There there just is, and I don't love the NCAA. So I mean, I, I'd be okay if if something changed. What I just don't want to do, and what I think would be horrible for the game, is if they do these giant super conferences. You know, sixteen to twenty plus teams per conference. I think that'd be absolutely stupid, which makes me think that it'll happen because usually the everybody wants to blame the NCAA, right? But you we got to remember the NCAA is made up of colleges. It's made up of presidents and people from the colleges primarily. That's who gives the NCAA its power. So if the NCAA goes away tomorrow, it's still these same idiots that are going to be making the decisions for college football. It's them and the people that are, that are, that are you know, with the networks. So it's still going to be the same idiots making decisions. It's just going to be the same idiots in a different, with a different name. So I don't have a lot of hope that they'll make better decisions. Rob Wicks says more likely to end up at Notre Dame, Merriweather or CJ Williams today. I'd say CJ Williams slightly. And that's because I only honestly, Rob, the only reason I say that is because I think there's more of a chance that CJ Williams commits before next year's signing day where Tobias has talked about waiting till January to make his decision. 
And that'll make it a little tougher to get him. And hopefully they get both. Ryan Altier, I hope I'm saying that right. Altieri, maybe. If Notre Dame starts to utilize more RPO, does the way the run blocking teaching tendency of Quinn catching hinder the potential effectiveness of the play design, linebacker not being manipulated to move? No, because I don't think the, the catching doesn't necessarily dictate the movement off the line. So if you're running an outside zone and, and you're, you're not being as aggressive, it's still a run play. If you're running an inside zone, it's still going to look like a run play and guys are going to come down. They're still going to attack it aggressively. So I, I, I think I don't think it would affect it too much. I think where it would affect it to your question, Ryan, is teams wouldn't necessarily be as afraid of Notre Dame's run game, which means they would be less committed to trying to defend it which would make it easier for them to keep a safety back or keep an outside linebacker back. They're not as worried about, you know, the cutback, the big cutback run lanes. I think those are the things that would would affect it. But just the simple aspect of can you sell a run? It's still going to look like a run. I mean, it's it's going to look like they do on normal runs, so you're still going to get linebackers to play it. Angus Pounds, do you think Jarrett Patterson will be all right with playing guard this year? Seems like he would want to play tackle as their best lineman. From everything I know of Jarrett Patterson and the, the people that I've talked to, he's going to be fine playing wherever. So I, I, I personally would have liked to see him play tackle. I think that would have been better for him. I think that would have been better for his future and, and building him up for the NFL. And I also think it would have been better for Josh Lug because I still would like to see Josh Lug a guard. But I think he's going to be happy wherever, wherever he plays. <laughs> Ryan says, thanks. I cannot be here because of teaching the youth of America, but I snuck on here to ask the question really quick. I appreciate the content you put out. Thanks for jumping in, Ryan. I appreciate that. Um, let's see here. You're going to go. Okay. Dylan D., thanks for the super chat, buddy. I really appreciate that. Thanks for answering. I want Jack as well. Yep, so do I. I think that is uh, – I think Jack is the best bet for this year for what Notre Dame is going to do. But if he gets beat out, then I think that also bodes well for Notre Dame because I think all those kids are are talented. Robert asks, Brian, in your opinion, what are one to two reasons as to why we have not won a title since 1988? It seems like uh, since that BC kick in 1993, we've been cursed and can't get over the last hump. I think there's been a lot of reasons. I don't, I don't think there's one or two reasons. Specifically, if I had to put it into one, I would say poor leadership at an administration and an athletic level and bad coaching hires. It's about as best as I could do. And I think that would be the best way to kind of get one or two reasons because the bad leadership and the bad management refers to not committing the resources to football, being really unnecessarily stubborn to changes, you know, scoreboards, field, all that kind of, you know, putting money towards the program, being stubbornly against the arms race when I don't know why you're afraid to get into an arms race when your program generates as much money, if not more than any in the country. Um, so I think it's just poor leadership. Um, people that, were didn't like the fact that the football team is was so powerful and so they wanted to push back against it and then you made bad hires you know i've had people ask what happens if if barry alvarez replaces lou holtz i mean it's a good question i, I don't know what happens if george o'leary replaces you know it doesn't have the fake resume and it becomes hired or is Notre name as bad as they were i don't know I still think they would because I think there was a leadership problem. And I think that's one of the things that doesn't get discussed about. And I know Jack Swarbrick takes a lot of heat for certain things, and there's certain things he deserves to be criticized for. But look, what you can't say about Jack Swarbrick, from the moment he was hired, he 
looked at the Notre Dame football program and said, we have to be able to, to think outside the box. We have to be willing to move into the modern era. And you look at all the changes that he's brought, the turf field, the scoreboard, the renovations to the stadium, the new indoor facility, you know, renovations to the to the stadium that have have with the new recruiting area. If you look at where Notre Dame was as a program when Jack was hired, and then when and then he made a great hire to bring in Brian Kelly, who was my number one pick at the time, even before the the 2009 undefeated season. I loved what he did his first two years because, as I've said before, I was following Brian Kelly back to his Grand Valley days because I was in in coaching at the time. But you look at what it, that that combination of Jack and Brian Kelly is ultimately what has helped Notre Dame succeed. And Brian Kelly can only do so much. It's Jack's the one that's throwing the weight around to get the money to the program, to get the, all the renovations and the changes that has made it to where now, you know, Notre Dame used to have to overcome their campus from a football facility standpoint. Notre Dame had to overcome their campus. That's not the case anymore. It's now a a resource that you can be proud of and use to sell to recruits. And that is huge. All right. Uh, Corey Dickerson, what about Noah Rogers from North Carolina? I don't know a lot about Noah. He's a 2023 player. Uh, I'd have, I, you know, again, as I said before, I'm not really focused a whole lot on 2023 guys right now. We'll get into that at some point in time, but I mean, like a receiver, for example, I'm more focused on, they've only got one receiver commit in 2022. And that's the class I'm focused on. But tell you what, Corey, here's what I'll do for you. So you, you've you asked him – you asked about him last night. This is the Rodgers kid you're talking about. I will watch his film before our next podcast. So the next time we have a podcast, and if you're in it, ask me about him, and I'll have watched his film by then. I, I'll, I'll make that promise to you. So I'll definitely watch his film this weekend for sure. Okay, Liam Gaming, we'll try to wrap these up. I know we got a lot more, but I, we, this is it's getting almost two and a half hours now, and I want to – I want to. I'm getting kind of hungry. Liam Gaming, is there more pre-snap communication between center and guards or guards and tackles? Both. I'd say probably more between center, but a lot of the communication from the center is out to everybody. But it, there's a lot with both, and it all kind of works hand-in-hand. Hand. It just depends on where the defense defense is lined up. So you know, there's times where the guard and tackle have to communicate a lot based on where the defender is lined up. You know, If he's between the guard and tackle – and you're running inside zone, and there's a three technique on the outside shoulder of the guard in between the tackle, then they're communicating. If he's inside the tack guard, if he's either lined up on a shade over the center or he's lined up on an inside shade of the guard, then it's the guard and tackle. If it's about pass protection, it's kind of everybody communicating together. So it just depends on, on the defensive alignment to really determine that. Stephen B., out of, uh, out of the changes that need to happen to close the gap, which are the most and least confident will actually happen? Oh boy. Um, that's a, okay. The confident I'm the, I'm most confident that the, the cornerback talent is going to get better. I'm most confident on that. Cause I really like Mike Mickens as a recruiter and as a coach. So I'm confident that Notre Dame is going to up their recruiting game at corner. We've already started to see that. I'm least confident that, that, that the offense is going to fully get where it needs to get to. And it's not necessarily about Tommy Reese. It's more about coach Kelly. Will he allow that to happen? Will he allow Notre Dame to, start looking more like Oklahoma and, and uh, you know, Ohio State and programs like that, North Carolina, that are explosive, balanced offenses. Will he allow that to happen? I don't know. And will he make the decisions that you need to make when it comes to holding your personnel from a coaching standpoint accountable to making sure they're coaching at an elite level and recruiting at an elite level? 
And that to me is, is, is just as big of an issue as the philosophy in my, my, my opinion. Um, Jordan Schreiber is Notre Dame contenders, Jalen Hale and Brandon McInnes. I don't, Brandon McInnes just recently got offered. He is going to get recruited by everybody. I wouldn't be overly optimistic on that one. Jalen Hale has been receptive to Notre Dame so far. Mike P, do we think Christopher Carroll can get it together to compete with Spindler? I like Spindler's future, but I'd rather see a junior win the job and have him be the swing guard. Mike, I think it's going to be determined by by. I think that Christophic, I'd say, probably has the best chance now that he's being allowed to stay at guard and hopefully not cross-train. I think he has a chance to push Rocco. What I'd actually like to see instead of a swing, I wouldn't have an issue if they did a guard. I, I might have said this in a recent show. I wouldn't have an issue if they did a guard with Rocco and Blake, or excuse me, Rocco and, and Andrew Christophic, what they did at tackle in 2017. Because if Jared Patterson's as good as we hope he can be, he may be gone next year. And so now you're going to have an open guard spot. And if if Rocco and Andrew Christophic or Quinn Carroll, if Quinn Carroll's the, the next best guy, if they're in sort of a, a rotation all season like we saw with Tommy Kramer and, and, and Robert Hainsey in 2017, then, I, then I'll start feeling a whole lot better about the line being able to just really build and, and explode and be even better in 2022. Okay, so you meant if time if Pine had more time to develop, I, I get what you're saying. Um, I still don't. In, in your, I assume COVID took away valuable practice time. We saw that at times. I mean, we had that. They had that pause after it was bef- after the it was before the Florida State game. They had that pause where the team had to kind of quarantine because they had an uptick in cases and it, it Drew didn't get the last spring last year. So I get what you're saying now. Potentially, yeah. I mean, if Drew had all spring last year, if Drew had, uh, you know, the, a normal off season, maybe he is developed enough where they felt comfortable with him. I still feel like with Brendan Clark's injury, that alone would have necessitated Notre Dame looking for another quarterback. Now, would it have meant that 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 had Jack Cohn come, could Drew Pine have had a better chance of beating him out? That might be the case. But I believe the second part of your question is: is Cohn would also be elsewhere? I still don't know if if they would have taken a guy that because I don't think that him being more advanced would have d- been resulted in him getting more playing time this year. I don't I don't think it would have, and that ultimately would have been the bigger issue. But no, I get what you're saying now, and I think there's a lot of merit to that. It, had he had a normal off season, 15 practices in the spring, only had one, normal summer, normal camp, it makes a lot of sense. I get what you're saying now, and I think there's I think there's something to that. I think maybe maybe he would have. But I still think the injury to, to Clark would have meant that they still would have been looking for a grad transfer. Ryan McCarty, hypothetical. Who are three recruits from the BK era that Notre Dame had a good chance to land but didn't that would have made the biggest impact at Notre Dame? Oh, boy. <sighs> the whole time? I'd have to think about that one. Ryan, let me think about that one. Let me let me look back because you know I'm starting to like Eddie Vanderdose is one that I think about. There's been some receivers that that I'd have to go back and and look over. Yeah, let me think about that one. That's a really good question. There's some DBs recently that I thought would I would have really loved to see Lathan Ransom, for example. He's he's one recently that I'd have to look at. Let me think about that one, and I'm gonna get back to that one in our next one. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that one down. Hold a second. See here, DC says safety as our leading tackler is not a good thing in my opinion. Yeah, I don't agree with that because it's all about how the safety is used. 
And in modern offenses, safeties make a lot more tackles because safeties are playing the alleys more. Uh, I, I, I don't, I, I don't agree with that at all. I think here's the other thing about it is what I'm referring to here is when you look at Notre Dame's situation at linebacker, if they're using a rotation where Bo Bauer is playing 30 to 35% of the mic snaps and Shane Simon and Maris Luafau are road splitting the will snaps, then the, the mic position may have more tackles than the safety, but Kyle Hamilton's not coming off the field. And I think that's a big part of it, too. And look, Kyle Hamilton led Notre Dame in tackles in 2020, and Notre Dame made the playoff. Notre Dame had their best rushing defense in, in quite a long time this past season. You know, I think this was – Notre Dame gave up 113 rushing yards this year, and I believe it's their fewest since 2012 by quite a bit. Yeah, I'm right. By over 20 yards, this has been their best rushing defense since 2012. Because again, where were a lot of Kyle Hamilton's tackles happening? They were happening in the box because he is because of how he was used. And I think that's especially going to be true in Marcus Freeman's defense because he's going to play so much single high safety stuff that you're going to see a lot of times where Kyle Hamilton is going to be rotating down. And the other thing you have to think about is the era of safety making a lot of tackles being a problem is, is more geared towards the notion of back in the day when teams were running the ball so much and playing more cover two and safeties were further off the ball. It was a run game was a tackle game. We didn't see the perimeter screens and things like that. And so if a safety is making a tackle, a lot of times it was down the field in the pass game. Well, with the advent of RPOs and the, and the spread offense, safeties have to make a ton of tackles in space on the perimeter. Your safety is going to have a better chance of playing a bubble screen, a jet sweep, plays like that than a Mike linebacker is. And there's so many plays happening like that, that safeties are just given more and more opportunities nowadays to make those kind of plays. And, and so I, I I wouldn't say that. And hey, look, you know, the, the leading tackler for Cincinnati in 2019, and they had a pretty good defense in 2019, was the safety. And, and you know, that's just the reality of it is you're, the way that the game is played now, combined with the fact that I expect Notre Dame to have a, a much more thorough rotation at linebacker than I do safety – is why I'd be probably more surprised if they don't have a rotation, if they, if Hamilton doesn't lead the team, barring injury. Old Grim, the defense seems young and good. Your thoughts, I agree completely. I don't think it's as young as some people think. There's a lot of juniors and seniors. Maybe not a lot of guys that have started, but it's not really young. There's a lot of young, up-and-coming players that are providing depth, but Notre Dame's not going to be relying on very many freshmen or sophomores in the starting lineup this year. Oh, Grim, your favorite players growing up were Terry Hanratty and John. I always forget. I always get his name wrong. Hart, Hewitt. I always forget how that's pronounced. That's such a bad thing by me. Black Rush. What are the odds Notre Dame can get uh, Marcus Deal out of Texas? Is that the kid that just recently got offered? I'm not, I don't, again, it's 2023. That's a little bit early for me uh, to really feel good about, about odds for him. David Jones says, my concern about a healthy Kevin Austin and Lindsay's hamstring is there are things currently that affect the player's body that sports medicine does not address. Michael Morris. Hi, Brian. Got here late. Hate to miss the show. The great thing about us doing this on YouTube, Michael, is as soon as I hit end, you can go back to the beginning and watch it over. So no worries, my friend. Jeremy Snell, 24. Brian enjoyed the QB review. Thank you. Love Nico and Dorman. If Nico doesn't get an offer, do you think Dorman is next up? I would imagine since Dorman's going to be coming to campus this summer that they're going to hold off on offering him until he gets to campus. 
But could he get an offer this summer if he comes to campus and works out and looks good? Absolutely. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a good quarterback. Connor O'Doherty, I honestly think Malik, if he stayed healthy, could have led us to a national title appearance or at least a playoff appearance. I agree. I agree with that. Uh, do you see the defense has more depth than past years? I definitely believe that. Absolutely. Roderick Blackman, I think I like Reese and think he will be a great coach, but I think our offense needs a seasoned vet like a Sarkeesian or someone similar to get to the elite status. I believe that in 2020. I, I think moving forward, I'm comfortable with Tommy Reese moving forward. I'm much more comfortable with him moving forward than I was when he started. I think that that Tommy, I think Tommy will do fine if Brian Kelly allows him to do it, number one. And if Brian Kelly ensures that Tommy Reese has the the kind of capable, competent coaching staff that he needs to really get this to the next level. Because that's a very, very underlooked and uh, underappreciated aspect of success as a coordinator is, is having what's around you. For example, I'm very high on Tony Elliott as an offensive coordinator. I don't think it's a coincidence that Clemson's offense took a step back the year that they lost Jeff Scott because I think they worked so well together. It's also about what's around that offensive coordinator. D-Rock, we are over two hours into the show, which is insane. Make sure you hit the, the like, share, and notification buttons. Definitely, definitely do that. Uh, technical technician, I appreciate the kind words very, very much. Uh, Terry Q says, so Brian, do you have any hair under that hat? Like your channel a lot. I do. It's just short. I do have hair. I don't have, I'm not balding or anything like that. I just like wearing hats. And of course I like wearing hats that also promote my business. So I appreciate it. I do have hair. I've had a little bit of an itch today, so I've had to take it off. So yeah, you can see my hair even more. And sometimes it'll grow out even longer and, uh, and, and I'll show it a little bit, but I like wearing hats. I've always been that way. And especially since I got this fitted hat, I like fitted, I like low fitting, uh, like baseball hats. So this is not a snapback. This is a fitted hat. Uh, and these are the kind of hats that I like to wear. And I just got word today that the the hats and the visor and the shirt have all are now on their way to my house. So I'm hoping to have those figured out and see what I like and get the merch store going. So I appreciate it very much, Terry. I appreciate you joining the show. Appreciate the kind words. Technical technician coach, I'm as certain as one can be that Jakovic will be a first-round pick. Thoughts? I think he has the talent to do so. Dane, uh, Dane Brugler, who's one of the best uh, draft analysts around, had him as the number 15 pick in next year's overall draft. Another guy that I like uh, is from a draft standpoint, Ryan Roberts, who we had on the show before, ha already has Phil graded out as a, as a second-round pick just based on last year without any improvement. There's parts of Phil's game that are going to have to improve. He's going to have to get uh, – he's going to have to process his reads faster. He's going to have to clean up his footwork in the pocket a little bit more. He's going to have to get rid of the ball a little bit sooner and not take so many hits. And he's going to have to understand the balance between being a risk taker, which he always needs to be, and some throws you just don't want to take. But, you know, if Phil can make good first to second year growth, do I think he'll have a chance to be a first round pick? Yeah, he's got to develop his game. But I also don't think the quarterback class next year is so locked in strong that he's he can't make a, a jump. I could see Phil Dracovic and JT Daniels both making big leaps up draft boards ahead of guys like Sam um, Sam Howell and you know Malik uh, what's the kid's name Malik Willis from Liberty and Desmond Ritter some of these other guys that people project Keaton Slovis if Phil Dracovic and JT Daniels have big years in 2020 2021 they're going to pass up Howell and Keaton Slovis in a heartbeat in my opinion and that's what I think Chili says Deontay Greenberry that was you know Chili my only concern with that is. 
I don't know how long Deontay would have stayed at Notre Dame for the same reasons T. Shepard didn't last very long at Notre Dame. That'd be my only concern. But from a talent standpoint, Deontay he could he could play. Deontay just had some other some other issues going on. But yeah, that's uh, here's a guy Juju Smith Schuster. That that he he's a, he's one of those questions. Back to Ryan's question earlier. As I'm kind, of, this has been kind of in, on my mind this whole time that I've been talking. His question was hypothetical: Who are three recruits in the BK era that Notre Dame had a good chance to land but didn't? That would have made a bit the biggest impact in Notre Dame. I think it was Tom Loy at, at two four seven. I think Tom, up until almost the very end, thought Notre Dame was going to get Juju Smith Schuster. Now at the time, remember his name was John Smith, and he was a safety, but he wanted to play receiver, and Notre Dame was going to give him a chance to do that. And he became a heck of a player at USC. But Notre Dame finished a close second for John Smith, now who's now Juju Smith-Schuster. That would be one that I would add to my list. He definitely would have been one, no question about it. Because I believe, I have to look this up, I think I think he would have also been uh, a, a, along the, the, the – he would have been around with Everett Golson. And I would have loved to have seen him catching balls from Everett Golson. I think that would have been a, a lot of fun. I'm pulling up his college career now. He'd have been 14, 15, and 16. So yeah, think about that. Think about John, J- Juju Smith-Schuster on the 2015 team with Will Fuller. Think about that. That's one. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that one in there, Ryan. That's definitely one that I can think of right now off the top of my head that I would say, yeah, that'd be one. I think Eddie Vanderdose would have been another one. Could you imagine Eddie Vanderdose on that 2015 defensive line with Jalen Smith? Oh boy. Yeah, those are definitely two. And I'm going to have to think about the other ones, Ryan, and get back to you on that one. So it's a very good question. So that is it for the questions. I appreciate everybody being part of the show today. I think I appreciate everyone who joined, but also especially want to give a shout out and a big thanks to all the people that gave us a super chat. It means a lot that you guys give your not only your time, but also your money to support our channel. So I hope everyone has an awesome rest of your weekend. Make sure you hit the like button. Subscribe to Irish Breakdown, uh, the YouTube channel. Check out irishbreakdown.com. I have a link to our newsletter in, in, the, in the description below. If you click on that every morning, it usually goes out at 7 o'clock in the morning. Every morning you'll get uh, our top stories from the day before. And usually when there's breaking news, I'll send, a, I'll, send an, I'll send it out so you'll get the stories there, especially when we get commits. Check out our – if you're listening via podcast – Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a five-star review. I'd appreciate that very much. So we'll be back on Monday. Hope everyone has a great rest of your day and an awesome weekend. And we'll talk to you all again very, very soon.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.